Good morning, Scott at Leading Edge Archery, with our esteemed colleague, Mr. Jason Spansky. One of us had to stay back. Yeah, I know. Bridger's off shooting his bow and having fun again at the Classic. I don't know about the whole fun thing. Yeah, I mean. It's going to be like 100 degrees. Dude, the guy's like, been gone like literally six out of the last eight weeks. What happens <clears> when you he's gotta when be, you shoot? He's got to be hating the travel. <clears> yeah. I don't know. I read an, an article this morning, in the at least in the golf world, yeah. how, I don't know if you saw the, I think it was the last tournament, Rory McIlroy threw his three wood out in the trees oh, by the awesome. New Jersey Turnpike. Heck yeah. And when somebody asked him, he said he's just frustrated. He's done. Yeah. He's played 34 tournaments in 15 months. Holy crap. So I'm pretty sure that Bridger's at yeah. getting to that stage. Yeah. The elite might be getting ready to hang out of the tree sometime this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's actually been shooting pretty damn good. Yeah. She went up to Colorado to shoot some big, uh, like a tri-level tournament. I think they shot field and 3D and I think a, a Dakota type. Vita event and yeah they I did he got a podium he finished third should have won it shot the wrong target yeah he was telling us about that that was pretty funny we've all done that but that sucks it happens but yeah, here Jason, we are yeah we're here and also we're going to go ahead and introduce our guests this morning we got a couple of guests but our, our in-house guest is going to be our one of our esteemed staff shooters he is our bow hunting class masters of ceremony um, owns the class and does really well. A heck of an archer, just a heck of a good human being, uh, Mr. Scott Gordon. Howdy. Welcome. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we're doing this for a couple of reasons. Actually, today's subject matter we're going to be talking through is actually Scott's brainchild. <laughs> he texted me about two weeks ago, you know, I got a great idea. I got a great idea. And we talked through it last week and I said, hey, let's do this. This sounds like a good one. Um, and it's going to be fun. We're going to talk about some cool things about mental management of archery. And this is going to be a subject that can probably be talked about for hours upon hours upon hours. For years. Years. <laughs> I mean, there's seminars. Yeah. Um, some of them are directed specifically towards archery. Some for, yeah. you know, shooting. Uh, oh, we always, we always say what like 80% of this game is, is, uh, is in your between brain. Between the ears. Yeah, between your mm -hmm. ears, for sure. And then I, or have you already confirmed with our other guests? Yep. Yeah. And then here in shortly in a minute, we're going to bring her on. We're going to have Miss Crystal Galvin, a female pro for, lives out in Connecticut. She's on our staff, actually. A heck of an awesome person. And I think one of the toughest mentally, are mentally stable archers out there. Oh, I, yeah. I, I don't say that meanly, Crystal, if you're listening. Um, because she's, she's just solid. She went from compound to recurve and back to compound this year. She's managing, I know, a new job. It's just kind of kept her off the range. And um, just, this girl's just tough as crap, dude. She's she's a beast. So we'll be excited to have getting her insight into this part of it. And um, But I want to spend a couple of minutes bitching. <laughs> Jason, just, just a couple minutes? Well, you know. Give a guy a mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you know, I, I don't, people, I sometimes, I, you know, I was telling Scott Gordon. Just let her rip. No, I, literally, literally, I was telling Scott this morning that, you know, I think I've turned our customers into spoiled brats uh, to a degree. What? Am I right? <laughs> but I, be out, out of all the pro shops that I've been at, to, which I've been to like, at least six. Yeah. Um, I would say that you do have the most easiest going shop out yeah. there. 
I mean, people people are just used to it. I was sitting there yesterday, and I forget who I was talking to, and 6.45, and people were still coming in. Oh, yeah, dude. It was crazy yesterday. Um, and I'm good with that. You know, the big thing is, is I built this entire business off of that, the you, service. Correct. And, but, ne- you know, what stinks about it is when you have a situation like we have right now with all this new COVID marketing environment, which is essentially an overabundance of demand. And not enough supply. And not even remotely close enough supply. You know, most of these manufacturers can't even get people working for them, let alone getting product parts and man- and raw material to make stuff. Yep. And so there's this level of expectation that does not come down to planet Earth with your customer base. Yeah. And it's it gets frustrating from our, my side of it because I've set this expectation over the last five years that you need it, we get it, we'll have it, and I'll do whatever it takes to make it. You're not J.G. Wentworth. <laughs> it's not your bow and you're going to get it now. Dude, and it's just crazy because now in the last like month, I have received more negative feedback than I have gotten. Actually, in the last week, I've received more negative feedback on our Google reviews um, than we've gotten in the last five years. And yeah, we're growing at an unprecedented pace and I'm hiring like crazy. I think I got more staff members in any archery shop in the U.S. United States. Because I'm really big on making sure we keep service levels at a very high, a high, you know, the high end of it. Um, so I'm willing to hire for that and yeah. eat some profitability with overhead. And it's frustrating because no matter what I do, you know, just one thing I've realized in this retail world, I came out of the business of business world in the aerospace market. And uh, being in retail, you, you're, you know, I've heard somebody say it, you can't keep 100% of your customers happy 100% of the time. No. It's just some people are just thankless, man. They just, they just don't care. Yeah. And now the internet has given them this freaking, this forum. Everybody and their mother's this got avenue. a camera and, oh a, my and a channel God. and everybody's a subject matter expert it's, now. Yes. It's nauseating, you know, and then instead of calling the owner and trying to resolve an issue, let's get on the keyboard warrior platform and just bash the business yeah. because you didn't, you didn't meet my demand. I, I, I'm going to call one. I, I don't even care. I don't know who it is. Don't care because he's a. In my opinion, he's just a moron. <laughs> I'm going to say it. And Jason's like shaking his head over there. But you know, here's the thing. He comes in looking for crispy boots. He lives about an hour and a half away, says it on his, on his review, calls the shop. We don't answer the phone. We're probably slammed at the time. I mean, it happens. We have an answering machine. We call back. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, I know what we were because it was like 3.30 in the afternoon on Tuesday, typically one of our busiest days. <clears throat> and um, looking for crispy boots, we're a dealer. He comes in, makes the drive without validating what, what we, you know, if we have it or not in today's world, marketing wise, I mean, supply chain wise, gets here. We have only, we, I think we're down to four or five pairs of boots mm-hmm. and we're 10 days from milk season. And I mean, and the expectation is that we have this plethora of stock in his size and all these different brands and, and styles. And we only carry a couple because everything that we carry is tailored to the elk hunter. Yeah. That's what we carry that boot for. Um, and, and it's our fault. He takes, even takes a picture of it and posts it and just bashes us. You know? And even to the point, I think he made some smart-ass comment. Yeah, one of our guys said, hey, look, we can order you a pair and get them in two to three days. Well, and he writes in, well, of course, I would have just ordered that if I would have known this is the 21st century. We do have the internet. And I'm kind of like, dude, you what a jerk. You're just a jerk at yeah. that point. You know, so three things. A, you blame on the fact that I didn't answer the phone, mm-hmm. which means you didn't validate whether I had what you wanted or not. And instead, you got in your truck and drove here. Yeah. Dumb. 
Number two, it's 10 days before the Elko opener. I probably sold 20 pairs of these boots in the last week, week and a half. And the expectation is we have it on the shelf. 10 days before the Elko opener. You know, that in itself is, is crazy. You're not going to break in a pair of boots in 10 days. Duh. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's, and it's all my fault. I mean, I, I, these, the, the, the guy's just, you know, hopeless. I don't want that customer back in the shop. I just don't want, he goes, he needs to go shop somewhere else. Stay on the internet. I mean, am I right or wrong? No, you're right. I mean, it's just crazy. People are frustrated with this across the board and their, their frustration and anger is displaced Mm -hmm. and they project that on you. And that's not fair to your business and you're not supplying it. It's not up to you with the, uh, the supplies that comes in. You're doing as best as you can, but this entire business has been built on the relationship side of the house. This is not a, transactional business no guys that come in and drop in and, and buy one or two items and leave that is not what has made this so successful yeah no you're right and i've always said that if i ever become bass pro and become transactional meaning you walk into the place you go find your product you go to the checkout line you pay for your product and you walk out that's transactional i don't want, that's not what we want to do but i swear the bigger we get these customers i think the more they kind of are driving me to that and I don't, i'm not going to do it I'll close the doors before I get to, get to that point. But well, you've heard know. me say several times before. I live two hours away. Yeah, I passed three bow shops to get here. Yeah. intentionally. <laughs> exactly. I don't. Yeah. Well, heck, how long have you been waiting on a bow from Hoyt? Oh, goodness, quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, every year is something. It seems like, and it's getting oh, yeah. worse. It's really not getting better. I mean, I, I you know, I've said it before. These manufacturers coming out with new bows this year. It's just, I think it's just irresponsible. It's my opinion. I thought they weren't. Oh, yeah, they are. Really? So the thing is, there's no new target bows coming out. I think PSC has made a comment that they may do one in June of next year. May or June, I think mid-season. We're not, and then, but we we are having, at least from what I understand, all the manufacturers have been confirmed. They are bringing out new hunting bows next year. Hell, one of them is bringing out four bows. Now, they're in a better position. I won't name who it is. They've been ahead of the game. They've been ahead of the game a little bit. Yeah. Their stock position is pretty good. Their manufacturing, I think, is is definitely head and heels above most others currently. So I think they're going to get away with it and okay. But these others, come on. Yeah. I mean, they're not even – they're so far behind the ball right now, eight ball, uh, on current inventory. I think one of them, what really affects them is their – I guess their popularity. Yeah. Has, has been their demise right now because they're so popular worldwide. Oh, 100%. Especially with the Olympics and everything going yep. on. Yep. Man, their their demand must have gone out the roof. They are a victim of their own success. Yep. yep. And I, but you know, and I've said this before, I think when George Wiles and we had him on, we talked about this very subject. It gets so annoying year after year. And I've heard this literally, I've been in this industry in and out for my entire career, my whole life. Every year, so for over 30 years, I've heard this same song and dance. Oh, we've doubled our forecasting. We've tripled the amount that we thought we were going to need. When At one point in time, and Scott, you're a supply chain guy to, of sorts. At what point do you not look at the data and extrapolate it out, forecast it out and say, we better build five times more than we thought? Yeah. No, really? I mean, at what point? And I've said this before, the supply chain professionals in this industry, the, the forecasting specialists, the, 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 the guys who are in charge of it and the gals, every 
single one of them needs to be fired. I've said it. I don't care. George has said it. He agrees. They need to find other jobs. You can go to any, I will tell you in the aerospace industry, they would have been gone within two years. You can't make those kind of misses. No, and I, it'd be a lot sooner than that. Every industry I've ever worked through. Yeah. I mean, I've been in, uh, blessed to work in a lot of different, I mean, in your industry, Scott, if you guys made those kind of massive miscalculations in your industry and you're in software. I'm in cybersecurity. Yeah. yeah. And, and a big part of the challenge we've got right now is the silicon shortage yeah. and any hardware that anybody has to deliver. I'm beating a lot of my competitors because they are suffering from silicon shortages while we're doing it all on software. Right. Absolutely. So how long would you be employed if you made those kind of forecasting mistakes? And, and it's not just the bow manufacturers. I mean, it's everything upstream of their supply chain. I Correct. mean, al aluminum, you, good grief, carbon. You can't get a hold of this stuff. Right. Yeah, the exactly. raw materials, that's the big problem. <clears throat> right. Exactly. I mean, that's and, and people don't realize it. I don't know. It's been part of this industry. It drives me crazy. I mean, because it's you, you've got the data. It's mm -hmm. there. You know, archery's been around since the beginning of time. We can look back on it and we can look at the trends. And, you know, we've had some slow times. I don't think we, there's any doubt. Nobody in this room will dispute that. But I think even in the slow times, I don't think you had a lot of bow shops, at least I can't recall, that had inventory sitting on the shelf for two, three, four years, you know, in arrears, trying to get rid of that old trying inventory. To catch up, yeah. I just haven't seen it. I mean, but I will tell you the one the consistent, the constant has been the long lead times after releases of new bows. Mm -hmm. And to Scott's point, not just bows, it's everything. It's, you know, sites, sites releases, yep. you name it, across the board. And I just, you know, yeah, that's my soapbox this morning. Can't it's, get it's, it. been, it's just been frustrating because you try to manage it on my side of it. You know, I've got these thousands of customers coming through the door every day, calling us every day, you know, and then I've got this manufacturers on this side of it, and we're stuck in the middle as a retailer. Well, and I know? think that the one thing that's kind of screwing you over is, you can't get it from the manufacturer. You can't get it from a distributor because they can't get it from a manufacturer. No. So people are going and getting them from booths. Oh, yeah. Which is shortcutting your business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that's another part that drives me crazy. I mean, I actually have had, I don't know how many customers, no problem calling this company out, black gold. I don't carry them for a reason, and I never will until they change how they do things. I have had, in the last two weeks, no less than five customers walk through this door um, that said that brought me black gold products that you cannot find online right now anywhere. And I got it from go hunt. Do you know what go hunt is? Go hunt.com. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a tag finding service. Yeah. They help you administer your hunts and how you're going to, you know, if you want to apply for tags, you know, to hunt this specific animal in these specific States, mm -hmm. somehow they've got a relationship with black gold and they are selling sites. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, Black Gold. I don't care if you're listening, bro. You want to reach? You want to be in our shop? You got to change that because I've got customers on the internet finding product through these obscure supply chain channels instead of a pro shop. Instead of a pro shop, I'm sorry. I'm just you know I have zero interest in carrying their sites and supporting that business because they're kind of using the, the the toilet paper on the wall theory. Let's mm -hmm. just throw a bunch of that out there and see what sticks. And, and when I hear these, these guys, and I ask every customer, when they, they come in with something I know is about impossible to get, I ask them right away, where'd you get that? And they tell me, and I'm blown away. Absolutely blows me away. You know, it's like, once again, that guy running Black Gold's marketing or supply chain, whatever you want to call it, dealer relationships, terminated. Go find another job, bro, because you're not helping your cause. Yeah.
I mean, it's just, it's so frustrating. I don't know. Get me off that damn soapbox now. I'm, not, I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> I recently oh. got my LTC and had exactly the same challenge trying to find a particular handgun that I wanted. Really? I found it online and I didn't want to buy it. I waited for my local shop to get it. And I can't believe one day they, they had it. And they called? Yeah, and yeah, you got yeah, it. and I got it. See, that's, yeah. Speaking so of Scotty's which, awesome. I find that there's, there's actually a breakthrough in that, in that industry. Yeah, there is. I just got a, a message from, from my guy saying, hey, I've got all these kits in stock. Really? Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. I was at Bass Pro the other day. Yeah, I still go there. People need ARs out Dude, there. Dude, they got ammo coming yeah. out the yeah, ears that, That's right starting now. to turn around. Yeah, that yeah. ammo, not, you still can't find 9mm anywhere. Yeah. And if you find it, you're not going to find it for cheap. Also, right now there's a big thing for people out there that like to shoot cheap ammo, which yeah. everybody likes to shoot cheap ammo. The uh, Russian, uh, there's been some some... Uh, some issues with Russian ammo right now because of certain political relationships going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they put some, they put some sanctions on Russia or something, but it affects ammo. So a lot of the, the steel case, a lot of that Russian stuff, mm -hmm. you're probably not going to be able to get it for, for really. Bit. Yeah. Wow. Either well, that you know, or it's going to Afghanistan. I think well, people, people that have been hoarding too, and they look at their, their safe and they're like, holy crap. Yeah, I got twenty grand worth of ammo sitting here. You joke, <laughs> you joke. I was talking to a guy the other day. I told he told me he's got like twenty some thousand rounds of nine millimeter. Twenty thousand. I mean, I, distributor. So he has he has Guy's sitting he, on a gold mine. He literally has a one of those large large um, gun cases. Yeah, full of ammo. It's full of ammo. No guns in it. Yeah. I mean, it's mind boggling. But he told me he says, yeah, when him and his dad go out over the years, if they found it, they'd buy cases of it. Mm -hmm. you know with the with the now people that do that they go to academy for something pick up some ammo they go whatever they're doing they just you know pick up some ammo yeah yeah that's just true. keep doing it and that's why they're stockpiling that's crazy it. well i'll tell you what you know just for the listeners um the supply chain is it's not getting any better in in the archery world it's you know the manufacturers are starting to catch up a little bit yeah um lead time wise and i mean i hate to say it but one of them is because of cancellations you know, we even had to cancel a pretty big order with one of our manufacturers because we couldn't, we couldn't get all this inventory coming in at one time, especially right before these new bows roll out in the next couple of months. People don't realize it, but new bow rollouts will start in October, November timeframe. That's two months away. So as a retailer, we have to be cautious on how much we're going to carry of today's year's model. Also weighing what they're going to be able to deliver off the new bow rollouts and when. So you pay that you play that math game on you know okay we got to have bows for Christmas time for example, um, hunting season so on and so forth and I tell you it's a chess match yeah but it's not it's across the board though stuff is not uh, arrows is a big one it's up and down like a heart monitor oh yeah I mean you've got tons for components a, a little bit and then you have nothing <laughs> Bridger was saying the other day we were shooting that tournament down at the uh, Texas Trophy Hunters, and, and he has some Easton uh, Super Drive 25s. <laughs> Chris Ellenjohn was there, good friend of ours, and they both shoot professionally. And he's telling Chris, yeah, I think I have the only set of Easton Super Drive 25s in the entire world right now. Because <laughs> you can't find them can't things. Find them. Oh, heck, and haven't been able to find them for years. Oh, Jason's over here batting his eyes. You got a dozen of those things for all shafts? Oh, yeah. You suck. <laughs> How much you want for those? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so anyways, folks, man, just, just, you know, give your, yeah, be patient, give your bow shop a chance. You know, they, they're in the business of selling you product. 
You know, at the end of the day, they can't function without it. Um, and just don't beat them up when they when they make a bet when they make because right now it is so tough to manage everything A to Z and be perfect as hard as we try. At least and I we think do. people's expectation is for you to be perfect, a hundred percent, and it's unreasonable. And it's just unreasonable in today's world. It's not going to happen. So give your guys' shops Good. a chance. Buy local. You know, be order patient. A, buy local. Yep. I mean, order a bow and then go learn a new language. By the time you learn, your bow will be here. Well, and it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that. The other thing is, is that, you know, you, I always say, yeah, buy local, support your shop. Because when you guys are out there blasting it on Amazon, you know, getting it on the internet. You need to get what you pay for. I mean, honestly, we've had to consider doing this. We haven't done it yet, you know, but start charging people to take that product and install it on your bow because you're taking that profitability out of your shop's hands. They well, don't on top plan- of that, they're, they're taking one of your... Uh, staff's time mm-hmm. where they could be selling a whole nother rig to do something that someone didn't even buy from here. Well, it's not even that. Then you're driving that whole market analysis that you hope the manufacturer is doing, which is, okay, we're selling X amount of products to our retailers. We're selling X amount to our Amazon guys, X amount to our online partners. And you've got all this product being sent in all these different marketing channels and all that forecasting data that goes into the decision-making on where they decide to put all their you know, put all their prowess in and their product in the future. And you're, and you're driving, I think, just negative marketing channels that, that are taken away from the shop at the end of the day. And I mean, it's just, and it's frustrating. I mean, I, I usually don't care. I mean, because it's not, for me, it's not that big, you know, been that big of a deal, but it's starting to get that way. And I'm, so I'm seeing what some of my other colleagues in the archery world have been telling me for years that the internet's dangerous. It's going to kill archery shops. It's going to kill us, you know, da, da, da. It's not just the internet. It's <clears throat> everything surrounding that. I think the the culture, people's mentality nowadays uh, is, is definitely playing a big role into, into yeah. tearing apart mom and pop shops. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's scary. Well, hell, did you... <laughs> okay, so... People just want it One easy. more, well, well, one more tangent and then we got to get on point here. Did you hear what the ATA is doing? I don't pay attention to them anymore. Oh my God. Opening up to consumer? Yes. Consumer direct now? No, it gets worse. So these, God, okay, I'm not going to say morons. <laughs> well, you but just these did. people have decided in their infinite wisdom, they're going to host an archery tournament, which is kind of cool. So they're going to do a new 25 meter, I think it is, indoor tournament. They're doing it through USA Archery. They're the, they're the, 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 the administrators of the tournament. Okay. And it's going to be happening on a Sunday. So the ATA starts on Thursday and stops on Sunday. If you shoot the tournament, or no, it's on Saturday. I can't remember. So on one of the Saturday or Sundays, if you shoot the tournament that day, you get free entry into the ATA the next day on Sunday. So I think the tournament's on Saturday. Sunday, is it will, be, it will turn into a consumer show. And the ATA, for you folks listening, has always been a buy group show. It's a, it's allowed us as retailers to go there unimpeded to allow, to see every product line that is out there and every manufacturer in one common setting and to place all of our orders for the entire year at that show. So there's like really good deals and specials going on and you get a chance to look at new product lines and you really can do a bulk of your, your purchasing there. And it was even better for the smaller manufacturers that are, that don't have sales reps, let's say what a great place to, Take your product, let every retailer that wants to attend the show, which is about 80% of them, 
look at your product and place orders for it. So now as a small manufacturer, you can go back and look at all your demand, buy the raw materials needed to supply those orders and get them shipped out. Now they're going to put the consumer in that who's not buying. They're buying indirectly through the shops, but they're not purchasing at that place. That's a consumer trade show. And it'll be, in my opinion, the death of the ATA. I won't support it in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's crap. And those manufacturers uh, are trying to write business with oh, their you distributors know and resellers. I know one major manufacturer right now, major, big player, is not going. Already announced it. And I think you're going to see a lot of them follow suit. That's why I say it'll be the death of the ATA. If you get the big boys pulling out of that show, there's no reason to have it. I mean, why would you do it? Might as well just make it 100% The dumbest, online. The dumbest thing ever. That guy, in his infinite wisdom, once again, should be unemployed next week. I'm sorry. I'm ruthless, but... Okay. Scott's ruthless. All right. We're, I'm going to make this phone call. Yeah, let's make this phone call. We're going to call Crystal and get her online. Um, you know, Scott came to me while Jason's putting her online there. <laughs> Hi. Mrs. Crystal Gawin. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. How are you? Okay. You know, I'm doing all right. You know, you're one of my favorite people on planet Earth. You know that. Even, <laughs> I don't know why. Even Well, because you do the cool things for me. Like, <laughs> I got on my soapbox for about the last, what, 10 weeks? I about, lost track of time. About just shoot your damn bow. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and here, I, one day, I think it was about three weeks ago, I get this t-shirt. This beautiful woman made for me, and I just love her for it. It's so funny. And the note she sent me was hilarious. <laughs> she says, "You just you got to have this, Scott. I just thought it, you you needed this. <laughs> it was awesome. Just she got me a T-shirt that says, "Just shoot your bow." She didn't put the dam in it because she thought it'd be inappropriate for the kids running around here, which was awesome. How are you doing, Mrs. Crystal Goldman? I'm surviving. Yeah, we just talked about That's that. That's all I can say these days. <laughs> yeah, we we had that very subject matter for the last 30 minutes talking about trying to survive in this insane insane world that we live in right now. Yep. It is crazy. So how is it up there with all of the uh, COVID craziness? Is it as bad? And Are you in Connecticut now still? No, I'm New Hampshire now. New Hampshire. Yeah. Live free or die. Yep. Awesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is it crazy up there? No, um, it's actually pretty, pretty calm. There's very few cases in this part of the country. So we're, uh, we're enjoying our nature away from people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna have to do a lot more of that around the world late in the near, near future. You're getting ready to enjoy nature and away from people. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Hopefully we're gonna have a podcast about that later. Yeah, I'm gone for like 30 days elk hunting. Heck yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, get me out of here for a while. It's going to be awesome. I'm just ready for the updates of, I should have prepared more. <laughs> I'm not yeah. in shape for this. I should have shot my damn bow. <laughs> yeah. I should have shot my damn bow. I should have shot my damn bow. <laughs> Crystal's going to get me a make good t-shirt. Yeah, Scott should have shot his damn bow. I don't even think Scott set up a bow for this yet. I did last night. Uh -oh. I was shooting, me and Cody were here setting up <clears throat> and shooting at, I think it was 1230 at midnight. Yeah, we were sighting in at 50 in the shop. <laughs> yeah. And I leave uh, when and I leave Wednesday. Oh God. I mean that's par for the course. That's the leading edge way. Yeah, boy. So Crystal, how's uh real quick, just want to kind of get everybody caught up. So you were kind of a little bit out of the scene this year, I know due to work, new job. Um 
but I know you came back this latter part of the season to, to finish up and shoot a couple of tournaments. And you also came back into the compound world, right? Yep. So how'd that go so far? How's your shooting? Um, well, as my mixed team name stated, we should have practiced. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I, I've had to take a new approach. I, I like to call it uh, compound 2.0 because I have to have new, I can't have the old expectations. I mean, I just, I don't have the time. I can't, I can't shoot the same volume or uh level that that i was shooting before so i just have to be realistic about stuff so i i've had to forget what my all my old scores were or try to forget and and just like i'm starting over from scratch you know okay this is a new personal best this is okay i've i've beat that now now time to move on from there but i mean in, in reality it's I'm shooting some weeks I get to shoot five or six days a week and some weeks it's one or two days. And sometimes it's 20 arrows, you right. know, when I'm waiting on, waiting on some data or something from somebody. So, right. um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be smart about it and not, not get mad. Which yeah, is so, easier said than done. Well, I was going to say, for those of you who do not know Mrs. Galvin, she is an absolute dogged, fierce competitor. Uh, I imagine the expectations you put on yourself are so, probably hyper unrealistic it's beyond measure am i wrong (laughs) um well (laughs) maybe yeah exactly (laughs) that's awesome though hey but you know what that what is i think and this is going to be a great segue into what we're actually going to be talking through today and we want is your you know some of your expertise and really have some chatter about this so scott gordon is with us he's one of our staff shooters he Scott has won pretty much everything in the state of Texas and even nationally. He's, he's one of the top shooters in his craft. He shoots the bow hunter class and he's one of those guys who, who lives, breathes and dies by it. Um, could definitely shoot open and compete at the highest level of the sport, but he chooses to stay down there. I love the pin game. Yeah. He loves that pin gap game, which <laughs> makes me psychotic. I, I, it makes, yeah. it, it drives me to drinking. Um, <laughs> But, you know, Scott, you know, he called me a couple of weeks ago and said, man, I got a subject matter I think we want to talk through. And I think our listeners were, and I think they were, I think it's going to be a good one. And Scott, I'm just going to turn it over to you and go through kind of what you and I talked about. And, you know, I know you had an experience here, what, a month ago that I think drove you to this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and just kind of talk through it. And Crystal, I've, we're going to look to you to be our, our Psych 101 teacher. Uh oh, that's scary. (laughs) And and Crystal, when Scott told me you were going to be on, I thought that is perfect because I follow you on social media. Listen to when you were on the podcast one time earlier, and you're in exactly the same situation that I am. And in that, the expectations that we put on ourselves to perform in a tournament is potentially unrealistic based on what we're able to do, how we're able to practice. Um, I've, I've got a full time job. I've got two kids. I serve a ton at my mm-hmm. church. I lead two small groups during the week and good grief. How do we squeeze in practice mm-hmm. in the middle of that? And from an expectation standpoint, I, I expect to win all of the local tournaments. And my goal is to win the state tournaments and, and perform well at the, at the national shoots. But just the amount of capacity that I've got to be able to practice and keep my mental game sharp Archery is probably the third or fourth thing that I do in life. <laughs> so <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> trying to balance that. And, and, and the, the, uh, the catalyst for all this was, was our state shoot, our, our Texas state tournament, 3d tournament that my goodness, I have never gone into a tournament before more prepared, more on fire 
I think the last, the three tournaments going into the state shoot, I was averaging probably 22, 24 up. Uh, the week going into the tournament practice, I could not miss. Everything was, was spot on. And the night before the shoot, I flung a couple arrows just to make sure my nothing had moved in the truck driving up there. And I'm shooting two yards hot. I thought, all right, let's just go to bed. We'll check it in the morning. <laughs> Got on the practice range at the tournament the next morning. I'm two yards hot. I was like, all right. Scott always says, this is what you pay money for. Move that sight. And so I moved my sight two yards up and get on the course. And it's roughly on for the first couple targets. And then I start hitting two yards low. Like, son of a... <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and in my, my class, I get one gang sight adjustment for the, for the round. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. So I went ahead and announced it and moved my sight. Then I start hitting two yards hot again. <laughs> and it just goes back and forth. My shot felt good. Everything from my pre-draw setup to draw anchor, everything was dead on. Pin wasn't moving. My shot would not break. And I shoot the uh, a thumb trigger relaxation method that, that Scott mm-hmm. talks about and that uh, the Griv teaches the same kind of thing. I anchor, I lock my back, I load it, and I relax the top of my hand, and that shot just wouldn't break, wouldn't break. And I have never shot down in a in a tournament, and I was two down for most of the day. I was able to to grind and scratch it out and ended up, I think, four or six up. But, of course, that was nowhere near podium. But just the expectations that I had going into that tournament. This was, I got second place last year and that has been eating at me for a whole year. Mm-hmm. And just setting those expectations with, with the amount that I'm able to practice and heading into that shoot, that was disappointing. It, it took me probably two weeks of uh, sleeping on that before I called Scott and said, all right, I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you were leading. I mean, you won everything this year. I mean, literally. All, all, the, locals, stepped, all the local shoots. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you stepped on, well, I'm the qualifiers. Yeah, if you stepped yeah. on the course, you won. Yeah. I mean, and so I can imagine. And when, like I said, the guy that won it, I think was, and he even admitted it. He said, thank God Scott was off his game because I, <laughs> I didn't win that tournament. I, uh, Scott lost it. He, he shot well, though. Yeah. He, he, he that, was, that was a hard course. It was long, lots of shadows. He shot 14 up. He, he deserved it. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good round on that course. Absolutely. It was. So, Crystal, I'm sure you've had that happen to you maybe a couple times. Um, well, mine's usually the other way around. (laughs) My practices are usually junk and I go in with zero confidence and then somehow find something in a tournament. But, uh, lots of my students have experienced similar stuff. No kidding. God damn, (laughs) I start drinking what she drinks. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, we always have. When, when when you're talking FIDA, there's always the bad luck, you know, so you can be shooting amazing and still lose um, <laughs> yeah. just with with some bad luck yeah. sprinkled in. So um, I can relate from that that sense. But, um, yeah, it's it's a hard one because I think with with 3D, with with your site and and all that, it's so hard to know. Was it is the initial? Is it me or is it is it the bow? And I think. Yes, there's a lot of people who blame their equipment, but there are times where something doesn't add up, you know, and, and in this case, once, once you can't trust your equipment, how can you can't shoot a good shot? You can't execute. That's exactly right. It's not going to happen. So, um, you know, it's hard to say in this case, what, you know, without 
finding something after the fact, you know, this was loose or that was loose, you know, or whatever. But So, um, so I think you're trying to dance around the whole subject, and I'm going to ask you direct. If Given the same set of circumstances for most archers, and I mean, this has probably happened to all of us at some point in time in our career. Um, in your professional opinion, how many times do you think it is it the, the Indian behind the bow, or is it the bow? Well, most of the time it's the person. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I wanted you to hear you say it because I'm in the same oh, boat. Yeah. Without yeah. a hard equipment failure, it's always the Indian. Yeah. Unless you but see I your... do. Yeah. The, my ca- caveat to that is there are people who never, ever, ever blame their equipment and they need to take a harder look at it. Yeah. Um, you know, at, when things just don't make sense. Um, it's funny because like I said, 95% of people blame their equipment when they shouldn't, but that 5% of people that should are usually the ones that, Oh no, it was me. It's me. It's me. It's me. And no, actually (laughs) (laughs) your rest isn't falling. Right. There's also people that never, ever, ever checked their equipment. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I I put this set of strings like six years ago. They're still there. They're good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's go. I'm kind of feeling that as I told Jason, the first the first tournament I did back, it was a local shoot, and uh, came home and two days later, my my sight block basically fell off my bow. <laughs> so it's like, oh, maybe that's why I couldn't hit. Crap. I felt like I was chasing my sight all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, one of the things that Scott and I talked through just to expound upon his experience because he asked me, "Can you over prepare for a tournament?" Like the week before, meaning you shoot up until the day before the tournament and you're just flinging arrows for the sake of flinging arrows. Is that? Oh, is, 100%. Yeah. 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 My, yeah, my shot I mean, practice was, any- was very strong all week long. And you're exactly right. When it came to tournament time, I was surprised how weak I felt. And I think that was it. I over-practiced. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell people, it's just like any other sport. Do you see, you know, track and field swimmers? Do you see them running a running swimming doing high volume the week before no there's a thing called a taper for a reason and why why should archery be any different and it's not just volume in terms of arrow count but it's intensity level so it should be changing in my opinion you shouldn't be at this high intensity level for the three weeks leading in to the event you got to kind of taper that off too so your your mind is fresh just as much as your body yes so uh, can you do us a favor for us layman individuals who don't do not know this (laughs) Can you talk through the tapering program for archery? I mean, even even if it's just yours or your methodology on how you would coach one of your students through attending a high level tournament and how that looks, let's say thirty days before that event. So there's one thing that you might not know, and a lot of people out there might not know. Crystal will actually tailor uh, shooting programs for individuals. Oh, sweet. Ooh, we got so that's that's your that's your plug for the day, Crystal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she actually helped me right before Mexico. Yeah, she built a whole shooting program, which it was kind of brutal at times. Yeah. So I'm still I'm still <laughs> holding that against you, um, <laughs> but it definitely helped it to where when I went out and shot a 72. Yeah. It felt like I was shooting 10 arrows. 10 arrows exactly. Yeah. Well, not so. to give away all of their se- trade secrets, could you talk through that tapering program and what that looks like for, like I said, for one of your students, if you were to do it? Because yeah. I, th- I think that is yeah. going to be valuable for, at least I know for Scott and the listeners that are in that same program, because I guarantee this has happened to all of us, you know, to a degree. Yeah, so I think 
a five or six week is typically a, a nor- kind of a normal cycle, I'll say. Um, and throughout the year, there's highs and low periods. But leading into a tournament, let's let's say, you know, roughly five or six weeks. So building up the volume, um, building up the intensity, the first, say, three weeks. And then depending on the archer, depending on their background, some people need a longer taper period. Um, so maybe more like two weeks, other people can get away with like a five to seven day taper. Um, and again, it's partly just how, how your body responds, but also the level you're at, what your background, how much physical training you've been doing outside of archery, that kind of thing. Um, so taking kind of a more normal, maybe about a week taper, um, typically that the most stressful, high volume, high intensity day is going to be about eight or nine days out from the competition and then start ramping down both intensity and volume. There'll be a couple high intensity days, but really low volume. So maybe um, in terms of like a FIDA situation representing like a match play elimination head to head. So super high intensity, but not a lot of arrows. Similarly for 3D can um, replicate like a shoot off situation. Right. Um, and then coming in, I, um, there's usually a travel day. So say two days before starting of the tournament is a pure rest day. So might be some mental work, some imagery, that type of thing. Um, but no shooting. And then the day before, so practice day, this is a huge one. I see time and time and time again, especially with the kids, they they get there and they're so excited. They just way overshoot on practice day. And so whether it's Vegas, whether it's 3d, you know, whatever it is, I tell people like 20 to 40 arrows, just enough. And and 3d is probably even less than that because you're shooting so many less arrows in the tournament, but, um, get there, just sight in, basically sight in, loosen up the muscles, make sure things still feel good. Um, and stop, you know, and the other thing is it's not just shooting, but, I see people, they're running around to all the vendors, talking to all our friends. That's great. <laughs> right. But then they get back to the hotel room. They've been out in the sun all day. They're exhausted. And that's not setting you up for success at all. So really, like I said, an off day, two days out, a really low, easy intensity, easy volume day. And then you jump into the competition. And again, you want to come off the field. You want to hydrate, get some food, stay out of the sun. Um, as much as possible because all those things are going to just drain you. And especially in these multi-day competitions, it's not a one and done. Most of the competitions we're all shooting. Yeah, exactly. This is such awesome, awesome advice. I mean, because it's, it's, I've always had the same. If you ain't found it five days before the tournament, you ain't finding it the day of the tournament. (laughs) If you didn't bring it with you, you're not going to find it. No, you ain't. And and I see Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's, it's, it just amazes me that archery hasn't figured this out. I mean, you look at any, literally any other sport and they're training in cycles. They're, you know, oh, yeah. high and low periods, all of this. And it just blows my mind. And, and I still say, you know, obviously there had to be some natural talent, but I honestly believe that was why I was able to be successful as quickly as I was because I knew how to train yes. coming from other sports. Yes, exactly. 
No, I, you, you've hit. I have watched guys sit on the bales bags at an ASA tournament for literally two days before the tournament and shoot daylight to dark. Uh, you've seen yep. it, Scott. I have. We've seen those guys do it, and and you sit there and wonder what are they doing? You know, are they, are they seriously? Did they, maybe they did come and they weren't even sighted in. You know, and, and there's some guys that go yeah. there and shoot. Yeah, shoot. we've yeah. seen that. We've seen it. There's some guys that do that, and uh, but if overall, you're just not going to be successful. And I think Scott, to your point, I think when when Scott told me what he had done the day before, he had shot quite a few arrows and that week. I just don't think he was his body. I think was a was just saying, you know what? Sorry, bro. Screw you. I'm done. And the mental, and then the, you had the mental fatigue that goes. And that's one other thing. I know, Crystal, you're, yeah. you're real big on the mental management side. And I think that you're putting all that expectation and stress on you leading up to the culmination of that. There's anxiety. There's the, the desire to perform well and the expe- expectation to perform well. And then you get there and your brain's like, bro, I'm toast. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> Especially if you go out there and you practice like serious <clears throat> practice, like Which you were going to shoot. Yeah. Because there's no point in just going out there and practicing for the for the sake of slinging arrows. If right. you go out there, you make every shot count. And by the time you get to the tournament, you're so burnt out, <laughs> yeah. you're done. Yeah. And, and my thinking was, my shot was felt so good, and my shot was so strong. You didn't want to lose that rhythm. I was going to groove it. Yeah, yeah. 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 I wanted to sink yep. into that groove <laughs> and and make sure I had it. <laughs> that that is my biggest fear is leaving all my good shots on the practice range. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Well, and I joked about it earlier, but it's, it's so true. I mean, I see time and time again, people get to practice and they have a bad end or a bad arrow and it's all of a sudden the panic sets in and it's, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Whereas I take the complete opposite approach. I'm like, oh, my practice sucks. That's great. I'm going to have a great tournament because <laughs> it's, that's, that's the reality. Like, I can't tell you how many times going into head to head matches where you know, you're obviously warming up next to your competitors, so you're seeing what they're shooting, and they're they're dropping thirty after thirty, and I'm sitting here like I can't find the ten ring to save my life. <laughs> start scoring, and it's like bam, bam, bam on my side, and they start spraying the target. Um, yeah. So I actually, if I have a good practice, I actually that's when I freak out a little bit because it's like, oh wait, <laughs> this isn't normal. What's going on here? So, that's so going awesome. back to the mental side, though, it's just a mental switch. Just just seeing it a different way, I think too many people get caught up in, oh, my practice arrows have to be perfect. Oh, I have to score perfectly. My sight has to be dialed. Instead of just trusting you, you have what got you there. Yeah. Just trusting that. And, um, and it's almost like shooting in the wind or shooting in the rain, you know, get excited for those things because it's going to hurt everybody else. Yeah. If you, if you like it and enjoy it, you're going to shoot better. Yeah. You know, the other thing, and I've heard a lot of, you know, talking with a lot of pros, I know me and Dave Cousins were talking about this one time because Dave was telling, you know, we're having a similar conversation talking about prep target. I mean, tournament prep and tournament, you know, what happens over the course of a two, three, four day tournament. And Dave like checks out, you know, so a lot of people think Mm -hmm. that, you know, Dave's like a jerk. You know, a lot of people say he's not very friendly. He's not this because, you know, and he'll tell you. I go and shoot my round, and when I get done, I got to get the hell away from archery. He wa- he's yep. he goes back to his hotel. He grows and grabs a dinner. Maybe he goes and sees a movie, but he stays away from the sport. The last thing he says he wants to do in the heart of competition is to shoot his bow and then talk about archery for the next four to five hours. And yep. <laughs> you know, and so some of the people, the 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 spectators, the people that are there that are amateurs, let's say, 
kind of take that as, well, he's a jerk. You know? I, I was surprised the first couple of times I saw him on YouTube, some of the videos he posted, like, yeah. well, he, he's, that's a personable guy. He's, he's crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> I, he didn't, I didn't think that when I've seen him at shoots before. Yeah, but you, and you don't because the man's been doing this his entire career, you know, so he's kind of got the, the MO down like Crystal and he knows what he, he knows has what to do. He knows what works for him. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he, so he resets himself and he tells me, he's like, I, I just, I got to walk away from it. I mean, I do this 365, 24, seven for the most part. Except that Crystal's not scary at tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, I'm scary. She'll I get just... told all the time. I'm mean and scary. Well, wow. you're just funny. Well, like you I, the... weren't scary to me. You were just trying to pawn off hydration tabs. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a true story. So I'm at Outdoor Nationals. I think it was probably about four or five years ago. I was there as a coach for Natasha. And Crystal, this is before I, I kind of knew you. I have known you your whole career. I follow you. But like, known you, known you. And um, yeah, yeah. you you were shooting recurve, and so when Crystal's shooting, she has got no offense here, young lady, but you're talking about <laughs> you're talking about RBF. Yeah, she's got it times a thousand because she is so hyper focused on her craft. And I know you had a couple of bad ends at that term. It was in a, we were in uh, Columbus, Ohio that year, and she yep. come off she come off that line. I I swear it looked like she was going to beat somebody's ass. And it's like yeah, <laughs> stay away from her because Probably she was. is probably going to kill you. I mean. It was pretty, and I thought that is one intense individual. That's a side of her I hadn't seen just watching YouTube videos of her and following her in your career. But that's, that is an example of being in that zone with that. And that's why I could kind of just equate as a coach, her expectation levels are insane. You're there to compete at the I end mean, of the day. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong that. Yeah, archery oh. tournaments are social events. It's awesome to go talk to your friends and whatnot, yeah. but people lose track. And then they they do poorly. Well, your mindset wasn't correct. You didn't well, go there to compete. You went there to socialize. And that's the thing, because everybody in this entire archery community, they, I mean, that know me, you know, I take a lot of heat because I'm like Bridger. I throw shit. I break things. I get really <laughs> angry. Uh, but that's, that Bridger is Bridger doesn't do that. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> you know what's sad is I didn't know Bridger did that until after he uh. came to the shop. And I thought, oh, shit, I got another Hamlet running around. <laughs> this is not good. Because, you know, it, it's like I walked into, I think, one of the Paris, I think it was from Foley. And I walked, I had eight arrows. And by the end of the day, I think I had three left. I had broke four of them over my <laughs> knees during the shoot. But for me, that's therapeutic. I, I have to get out my anger when I suck or I'm going to explode like a volcano. And then it's really bad. I just bottle it up and do it in I, private. I just, but you know, but the thing is, and Crystal, you probably can relate to this. My expectation level I put on myself is so freaking high. I demand perfection, especially if I train for it. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I never, yeah. I never do. We are. Um, <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Well, I was just, I just actually read a whole article about that, of that uh, we all set ourselves up for failure by when we're afraid of success. I'm going to butcher this all, but basically we give ourselves the out by not preparing properly um, when we're, we're afraid of success. So that way we have an easy excuse. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't prepare properly. I didn't shoot enough. I didn't this, I didn't that um, is the easy out instead of being willing to put everything in. And if we fail, it's on us. Yeah. That's actually a really, no. that's a really good one actually. And there's probably some, a lot of truth to that, even for me, because I'm to the point as a shop owner, I just don't have time sometimes. And, but you know, I look at it differently. I've been shooting competitively my entire life, even at the highest level. I've been shooting a bow my entire life. I have an expectation that I can build a bow today, sight mm -hmm. it in, go to a tournament and 
compete at a pretty darn good competitive level. I know how to shoot a freaking bow. You know, you put a freaking pin at the dot and you, you pull it. I mean, you pull through the shot and you break it and you, 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 get, you expect to get a 10. I mean, it's just that easy. In my, my opinion, when that doesn't Is happen. Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. I go psycho when He's that come to work. find out that that's not the case. <laughs> well, being old as dirt is not helping matters. Whatever. Whatever, dude. That's it, not an excuse. He's turned 53. You know, it's, you know, I have actually finally succumbed to the fact that I am now getting old, even though I work out like a maniac and keep myself in tip top shape. Um, I am going to back down and shoot like 55, 56 pounds this year. I'm not going to go do the 69 to 72 and all that crap. Oh, yeah. I'm Good. just going to, and I think it's going to help me. Cause you know what? You, here's why I came to this and Crystal, you'll appreciate this. I build all these target bows for these young ladies that we have in here. And when mm-hmm. I'm, when I'm tuning them, I'm like, God dang, this thing holds like a rock, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then I'll take it out back to help them sight it in. And I always like to shoot their bows. And cause most of them are around that, you know, that 25 to 27 inch draw length. So I can shoot yeah, it really yeah. effectively. Yeah. And I'm back there and I'm like, you know, and I'll shoot them to make sure everything's doing what it's doing. And I'll pop a group in there at 20 yards. Like it's so tight. You can't put a hair in between them. And I'm, then I'll sit there and go, God dang, this bow holds so well and shoots so good. And it's (laughs) the the common denominators. Every single one of them are between 46 and 52 pounds. And I thought, okay, well maybe there's something to this. And maybe I don't have to put 30 ounces of weight on the back bar and 24 in the front. Because most of these women are running, you know, 10 to 12 and five on the front and their bows shoot amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. Especially this in a known class. Yeah. There's, there's no need to burn yourself out. No. You need to 60 shoot pounds. 60 pounds indoors. I mean, Dude. the AC is not going to blow your arrows around. But I'm five foot, <laughs> I'm five foot nothing, which sucks. I mean, I'm sitting with two guys that have blessed with these arms as long as Goliath. Got to your draw length. Yeah, exactly. But, but no, still for indoor, you you don't need that. No, you don't. And then for no. outdoor, at, at 3D, and this is just my limited 3D experience, you're covered in trees, so the wind is not that bad. No, wind's never an issue. And your further shot is, what, 50 yards? Yeah. And there's certainly a point of diminishing returns. I mean, you don't want to make your holding weight so light that you're yeah, bobbing around. Execute a yeah, shot. Yeah, right. Yeah. But you also don't want to make it to where you're burning yourself out. Right. And that's what I think I've done over the past. I'm trying to be an egomaniac, testosterone-filled hyper-gorilla, and um, I'm just, I can't do that no more. Just you can but at a, at a different You don't different have levels. the time to put in to do no. it. Yeah. That, you, that's, there, that's what kills me. These people see Mike Schlosser with, you know, 100 pounds on his bow yeah, in right. weight. And, and then they go and do that, shooting their bow three days a week after work for an hour. Like, yeah. that's, it's not the same. Mike couldn't shoot that bow if he, that's how he was training. I can guarantee it. So, question about that. Do you, if and do you may know this answer is, you know, in Mike's situation or a guy who's literally shooting his bow and making a living at it, you know, how often does a guy like that shoot his bow? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, everybody's different. There's, and again, it's just like athletes and other sports, there's going to be archers that need high volume. I think Rio is someone who's always shot a really high volume. He needs that to be yeah. successful. So he's out there shooting three, 400 arrows a day, constantly tweaking stuff. There's other guys who may shoot six, seven days a week, but they're only shooting maybe 50 to 100 arrows. Um, but um, you get guys how, like they're, how they're doing those, yeah, who just shows up and right. makes the World Cup team. <laughs> 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 but I, th- I think everybody's different in what they need, and that's, again, why 
finding the training that works for you is so important instead of just going and doing what this shooter or that shooter is doing that you heard, whether it's weight or whether it's, you know, arrow count, it's, it's all the same. You know, some people need to shoot a scoring round a lot of the time, you know, 90% of the time. And the vast majority of people, that's not going to be beneficial for them. Um, So I see a lot of the, something that I found um, when I was competing at the top was how much the top guys um, were just constantly tweaking their setups. You know, I'm going to give my, my rest a turn today and see what happens. I'm going to, you know, play with, this slightly different, shorter fletching size, you know, whatever it is, but they were just constantly trying new things. And, but again, this is the guys where that 1% makes a difference. The everyday people that are shooting three to five days a week, is that really going to make a difference in their score? Probably not. They don't need to spend, you know, all that fine tuning type so, work. So, so you just said something that, that I, I got to bring up and remind everyone of, because George Riles and I had a discussion when he was on the podcast about this very subject that we see a lot of the amateur type shooters that have full-time jobs and families and are practicing maybe that one to three days a week at most, if they're lucky, um, spend more time changing the fletching, moving a half mark here on their rests here, changing their holding weight, changing their drawing weight, make, changing their loop length trying to find some magic sauce that's going to take up the amount of practices required to shoot at the top of their game. And instead of just shooting their damn bow, which yep. why you got just me that. Stop. And, 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 no, and, and there's, do you agree with that? There's a, that, that time spent doing all that. It's like, you know, I despise people. I mean, I'm sorry you may do it, but these guys are bare chef tuning and shooting 50 arrows a week and think that's going to make them better, you know, or, yep. Yep. <laughs> or clock arrow clocking is the other one. It drives me insane. You know, oh, that, let's, yep. do, let's do that. And that's going to make me better. Floating the arrows in the bathtub. That, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you agree. Those things, just shoot your damn bow. Yep. Am I right? 100%. Yeah. And but that's one of the things we're trying to reeducate our customer base on, and especially our staff, is that if you spend that time that you are doing tinkering and playing with everything, trying to find those one to three points, those one to three points, they're sitting in your process. They're sitting in your shot. Um, mm-hmm. And you just not spend enough time. They're sitting it. in your mental game. Most likely. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say that. Yeah. Your mental game, you know, which brings like, to- I would rather see people spend the time on the mental side than on tuning. To be honest, 90% of people, would get more benefit from spending more time with that. Not even shooting their bow, just well, more time on the mental side. And that's why I'm glad you said it, because I wanted to talk through that because you made a comment earlier. Um, and I know you're big into this, and this is why I'm so, so excited to talk to you about it. That mental part of the game, I, I mean, and I've done this before in the past with other coaches that I have in other sports. Do you, like, literally do the the visualization drills in your head, at, you know, at, at opportune times when you have some downtime where you're shooting that tournament in your head, more or less? executing that so, perfect shot? I wish I could. I'm not someone where visualization really works for me. I, I just, uh, I, I have too active of a brain, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I do, there's other things that work for me. And this is again, where I think everybody's so different that you hear, Oh, do this one technique. And then people are like, Oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Mental games. Crap. Well, that one technique didn't work for you. There's a million different techniques. And um, I like to give examples of um, Patrick Houston is um, a British archer and 
leading into 2016 Olympics, he, um, he had done stuff on kind of the junior circuit, but he wasn't really anything on, hadn't really had much success at the senior level. Um, but he decided like three years in advance of 2016 that he wanted to go to the Olympics. He was going to go and Great Britain at the time, they weren't even sure they were going to qualify any spots for the Olympics. Like that's kind of where the program was at at that time. But every single day he wrote down multiple times a day in this one notebook, I am a 2016 Olympian. And I don't know if it was 10 times, 20 times. And I don't know if it was once a day, five times a day, whatever, but it was the same notebook. Um, cause I've seen copies of it and it came down to, so Great Britain didn't earn any spots at the first chance, second chance. It came down to the final chance. We were in Turkey. Um, so it was a single, single spot tournament. Basically the, I think it was two spots were available, something mm-hmm. like that. So you have all these people from all these different countries, 80, hundred people all fighting for these two spots. Mm-hmm. And he qualified about where he normally did nothing special. So he had to go against one of the top people right from the start Right, and was down in the match, came back, ended up, I can't remember if he, he tied this one or not, but he ended up winning and he works his way through the bracket, works his way through the bracket. So it comes down to the last match. He wins. He's in the Olympics. He loses. He's done. And he's against, Arguably a much better archer mm-hmm. comes down, they tie, um, one arrow shoot off and he wins. And he came off the line and world archery interview, you know, ask him like, are you surprised? Are you happy? Like, how are you feeling? Something along those lines. And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and was like, this, you know, it, there was no extra pressure on that arrow because I knew for three years, I've known that I was a 2016 Olympian. And he showed the notebook at that time and no they took, took a picture and wrote up an article about it. Um, so that's one example of, he wasn't visualizing, but that's what worked for him. Um, something, another story real quick um, from my own experience, what worked for me. So again, visualization isn't really that beneficial. I find writing stuff down kind of works, but then I don't have, I lose my notebook or whatever. I, I have problems with this. So, um, I, in 2016, I think it was first world cup of the year. We're in China. Uh, Sarah Lopez qualified first. I qualified second, ended up getting knocked out, maybe the semifinals or something like that. And, um, Sarah says to me after like, Oh, too bad. We didn't get the, didn't get to shoot together in the finals. That would have been cool. Something like that. And so I looked at her and the next world cup was in Colombia and in two, three weeks. And so I looked at her. And I said, okay, in Colombia, um, we'll, we'll be in the finals together. I, I just said that to her. Mm-hmm. And from that point until Colombia, every day, I just thought about, oh, when Sarah and I shoot in the finals together. And I would add that to my just daily language. I would think about, again, I wasn't like visualizing in mm-hmm. this like meditation way, but it was just, I was thinking about, okay, right. when we're in the finals together, blah, blah, blah. And we get to Columbia, we qualify one and two again. I'm in, I don't know, the one eighth round or something. So not that far along. And I'm down big time in my match, like five points, four points, something like that, which in compound at that level, you're basically done when you're <laughs> down that, that far. Right. You need help. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
But I just kept shooting, kept shooting that match and came through and won that match. Um, and, and to me, it was, it was very much like that Patrick Houston thing where I didn't freak out because I knew Sarah and I were going to be shooting in the finals together. And it was funny because Dean Alberga had actually heard our conversation in China. And so he made a comment. He did, did a picture with the two of us and everything for an article but he he joked about it like, oh yeah, you girls made that made that pact in China, and I was like, yeah, we did, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's all different different ways. I I really stress this is where working with you know a professional or just reading a lot and trying different things to see what works for you well, really can pay off. So what that does is you guys are basically setting yourself up um, to not be stressed out because you know what the end result's going to be. You've You've exactly. told yourself for a month prior to you've the expectation is set. Um, so when you get into a match play or you get into the tournament, you're not. You're, why are you nervous? Because you know where you're going to end up. I mean, and that's just masterful um, from a standpoint of, you know, once again setting yourself. I, I totally understand what you're saying about visualization. It's not that. It's just you've preordained it within your own mind. So that there's no pressure when it comes down to when the chips are down, you've already said it. I'm, I'm going to be there, and God, mm -hmm. that's got to be so relaxing, you know, to where you're down by five and you're not. You know, most of us would be uh, freaking out, saying, yeah, I'm, "I'm toast." <laughs> yeah. But but if you know that's where you're going to be, man, that's got to be a uh, that's some great advice. I mean, for anybody that's listening out there, who, who is a, and and that's a competitor in any sport, not just archery. I mean, I don't care what you do if you're if you have convinced yourself in your own mind that this is where it's going to end up. Then, and, and, and I think that in every professional sport, I think there is, if you're a competitor competing at the highest level, you know, in in the game, you've got to have that mindset, and it's got to be, it's got to yeah. be a, yeah, it's got to be a common ground, I think, between all athletes, you know, when they're playing at that level, because some of us go there, knowing we're going to compete, without the that expectation, because we haven't prepared, we haven't talked about it for months at a time within our own mind. And, um, and we, we, we finish accordingly, you know, think about it. We're middle of the pack, you know, towards about bottom. Yeah. Um, and those people, God, God help us. They keep that sport rolling, you know, and it, it, cause I, I believe it takes all kinds, you know, top mm -hmm. to bottom, top to bottom, um, to make the sport relevant. And, uh, man, I, yeah, that's some cool stuff. I'm only, I'm going to steal that one and use it on our kids. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's but, a good point. But the Scott. thing is you have to continually work on it because yeah. Prime example, you know, this weekend at nationals, my uh, my first match of the day, I was you know the higher ranked archer even after not having a great tournament, and went in and I was down by five. I think it was five after two ends, and I just fell apart. It was I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm already down by five, and and it was like, who is this? Like <laughs> <laughs> three years ago, I ne you know, that I never would have had that mentality, but I haven't worked on the mental side. I haven't done anything with that. So why can I, I can't expect, mm -hmm. you know, just like if you don't shoot, you can't expect right. the same thing with the mental side. I can't expect to have those same, um, you know, strong mental side if, if I'm not activating and using and training that right. side. And that's a good segue to something that you mentioned earlier. I want to, touch on as well is is your life has, has changed a ton just in, in in from a competitive standpoint and and jobs and like scott had mentioned it takes all types to keep this sport afloat i would say the majority 
of people are not focused like a professional would be on, mm-hmm. on no. tournament. They're, yeah. they're going out there yeah. to have fun, yeah. but they want to, we all have that, that competitive gene in us. We all mm-hmm. want to win. That's, that's why we're doing it. But how has your preparation and practice and mental game changed as you've reset those expectations? Because that's what you've reset to is effectively where the majority of us are, certainly where I am. Like I said at the beginning, archery is probably the third or fourth or fifth thing on my mind, but I still want to compete well. So how do you balance a, a practice schedule and a mental game routine with the rest of life that's going on and appropriately set those expectations for the tournaments that you're entering into? So uh, what I tell my students is different from my own. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, have not done, I have not done a good job at this at all. Um, I'm just kind of winging it right now. Um, to be completely honest, I, after, after having to withdraw from the trials and, and leave my Olympic dream without being able to complete that process, um, just mentally was really tough. And so for me, I just needed like a complete low key, zero pressure, just literally just shooting for fun and not, you know, if it's hot outside and I don't want to shoot, I don't go out and shoot. Like there's just, um, I've had to kind of step back and, and just, like I said, almost like a reset. Um, whereas if I was with limited time and actually wanting to take it seriously, it would be totally different because I think you can, you can still be successful with limited time. You just have to be smart about how you train, how you plan your time. I mean, I was the queen of this all my life. I mean, in high school, I played like three different sports at a time and was in AP classes and whatever. So um, every minute of every day was scheduled out. And I know a lot of people don't like super, super structured days. Right. Um, but if you, if you want to be competitive on a limited time, you almost have to be willing to have a more structured. And sometimes that means getting up early and doing something before work, maybe on your lunch break at work, um, you're, you know, reading or doing mental work. Um, there's a lot of, people don't realize how much downtime we truly have. Um, whether you're commuting in the car, um, great opportunity to either listen to podcasts or again, work on some mental, um, drills and things like that. But I think a, a, a lot can be learned from other sports and other, um, experts. And, and so that's listening and reading, I think can be huge. And so adding that into your day, um, and sometimes, something that a lot of my students, especially with more people working at home, can you take, you know, instead of taking that water cooler break to walk and fill up your water and chat with your coworkers in the hall, can you take that 10 or 15 minutes and go shoot 10 arrows, 20 arrows, um, and do that just a couple times a day. It's amazing how that, that can add up, um, really quickly. If you literally shot 10 arrows every two hours, throughout a work day, you know, you're at, you're at a decent arrow count right there. Yeah, um, so it doesn't exactly. mean you have to, you have to have an hour block of time. Um, I think too many people now recurve, I think is a much different, um, there's some, you really do need to warm up, um, properly and, and things like that for shooting a recurve, but you got to put on an arm guard and all that crap that <laughs> thankfully I don't have to deal with anymore. Right. Um, but but compound, your bow set up, you know, your bow's already set up. It's ready to go. I have my quiver hanging on the, you know, the door outside. 
Um, so structuring your day in that sense, just setting yourself up. So it's just like, you know, people who want to start working out, talk about, you know, putting your running shoes by the door in the morning or, or your workout clothes. When you go to bed, put them out for the morning. It's the same kind of idea with archery. If you, um, you know, plan, set up a plan to, to make it easy to shoot. It doesn't have to, to be this big complicated process. Right. And, and even to the point when you're talking about, you know, shooting 10, 15 arrows on a five or 10 minute work break, I mean, and those arrows don't have to be a competitive 50 meter arrow. Um, it could be shooting a bag target in your garage, correct? Right, right. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And on, on the flip side, you can make those high intensity arrows if you want. If you, you know, if you have 50 meters in your yard, for example, right. or even a 20 meter you can make it a, make it a single arrow shoot off, make yourself go walk and pull. <laughs> you don't have to shoot 10 arrows, shoot one Yeah. and say, you know, if it's not a 10, I got to do push ups or I have yeah. to go yeah. back and do this at work that you don't want to do, you know, right. something like that, put something on it. That's badass advice. Yeah, which, which is definitely something that I incorporated this year, especially for 3d. Yeah. And then Levi mm-hmm. talks about that too. His dad would give him one arrow, yeah. go shoot it, make sure it's a 12. Yeah. Go, go pull it, come back. So, crazy, crazy uh, correlation to that story. I have all my, the guys that I, you know, it's kind of coaching, mentoring for the elk season, for example, you know, we're coming on that. And I've told, I don't know how many customers and clients of mine that are, you know, that rely on us to be successful on their hunt. I told them, I says, when you get up in the morning, um, you literally don't, don't even go brush your teeth. As soon as your feet hit the floor, put your slippers on or put your, you know, whatever, go outside and it's one shot, one kill. Different yardage, yep. different yardage yep. every day, yep. because we don't wait. We don't wake up in camp at four thirty in the morning. Go shoot fifty arrows before we go on our hunt. We get up, we eat breakfast, we take off, we go on our hunt, and we draw and shoot. Uh, hopefully, and do that before. And I said, and then go back in the house, brush your teeth, and get ready for work, and go to work. You know, and then you live yep. and die by those consequences. And then I tell them in the evening, you know, and then and when they come home from work in the evening, they get home. The first thing they do, I don't care if you got your work clothes on, grab your bow. Mm-hmm. Go out there and do one shot, one kill and do it from a different yardage. Do it off your knees. That elk lives or dies. And then you go back in, you say hi to your wife, you go grab dinner and whatever, and then go through your practice regimen after that. But you've got to duplicate morning and evening. This shot's going to do or die. He, the elk lives or he dies on this shot. And it's amazing. I've had so many guys and customers say, dude, that's like the most intense two shots that I take (laughs) in the entire day. Good, because it will be. And it will be, yeah. yeah. So when they get in that situation, ice cold, which you are typically, um, you'll, you'll make it or not, <laughs> you know? And so that's great advice. Um, I like and, that. Yeah, and I think that's something that we don't do enough. Because people, Jason says it all the time, you know, we, we fling arrows. I can't stand when I watch guys, gals come in here yep. that are hyper-competitive tournament archers and they're flinging arrows. And I, I can always tell them because they come in and they, they shove the arrows in their back pocket. You know, they, they'll shoot a couple rounds, start talking to their buddies and, you know, talk about whatever happened during the day and shoot another round. And it's just, and I'm like, that is not effective practice. They'll go home and in their own mind say, well, I shot 50 arrows a day. You didn't shoot 50 competitive arrows. You may have shot right. two, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I'm, I learned this from Bridger actually, because I used to be that guy. You know, I did. You mm. put, you put your quiver on. You know, you wear the same damn shoes, you're going to go shoot. And that's the other thing that drives me nuts. These guys come in there with their cowboy boots on or something and go shoot around, not realizing that changes your center of gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, wear the shoes you're going to wear, wear the clothing you're going to wear, you know, duplicate that. You wear a hat, you wear a hat all the time when you come in to shoot. 
you duplicate tournament level situations and, and you practice that way so that every shot means something. So when you go there, you don't all of a sudden go, you know, oh crap, I usually have my arrows in my pocket. That's kind of weird. My quiver feels weird on my hip, you know. It takes that little bit of distraction. Would you agree, Crystal, that to really take you off your game? Yeah, and I think there's seasons for everything. So for me, a lot of my coaching clients, the fall is is a build period. Yeah. It's between seasons. And so that's the time where you can more or less fling arrows. Fling you know, arrows. maybe it is about just getting <laughs> getting the volume, the repetition, yeah. building up the muscles. Because um, a lot of times that's when I have people going up in weight, if they want to go up in weight or adding stabilizer weight, that type of stuff. So sometimes, sometimes there's a time and place, but right, on right. a regular basis, for sure. And in the middle of competition season, definitely not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, that's some good. That's some good stuff for sure. Jaybird, do you do any of this stuff yourself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I mean, I. I do have my. Um, my training regimen, my training yeah. routine. Um, it's really hard though sometimes because you know you you might depending on where you are. I practice the best when I'm alone. Yeah. Because sometimes you know you're you're in here and everybody wants to come in and say oh. hi and yeah, and socialize and sometimes I mean sometimes I've seen Bridger do it and I've had to do it as well and be like hey look guys I'm sorry I'm I'm, I'm this is my training time yeah I'm, um, I gotta check out exactly make make every arrow count um, what do you think about changing that environment because I'm so comfortable in my I have to, I have to drive that's down a, down the road go around the corner pull out my bag target set it I, I, so it's it's difficult for me but I'm so comfortable down in the little uh, service road where I practice as opposed to when we go to a tournament or even, even coming up here, trying to shoot under these lights, yeah, everything's different. We call that home field advantage. Right, right, yeah. right. So <laughs> yeah. what do you think about changing that up in your practice? I think it's important. And, and there's ways to change up even your home field. Um, you know, there, you can put a big spotlight on your target or put a canopy over you or, you know, shoot from a different dire- opposite direction if safety allows you to there's ways to kind of mix things up um but i think it's definitely important especially when you're shooting more of the 3d field type stuff where it's not always going to be the same same direction field same distance same you know everything in theory yeah you know it's funny you say that when i lived in florida and i was shooting a lot i mean i was competing everywhere um this has been god 17, 18 years ago, I remember one time um, to try to really change it. I, you know, I didn't have any stress on me. In other words, mm-hmm. I actually put my target inside my living room, then stood out yeah. in my, I stood out in my yard, opened my double, my double doors basically, and shot into my house. And you talk about something that will change your environment in a New York setting. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> I mean, literally, if I miss, I'm putting it through the wall and through a picture that my wife had and she would have killed me. Yep. Literally. Yeah, I, mean, I shot through through my kitchen. Yeah, where if I missed, I was hitting my fridge or <laughs> into a wall. And it, it puts you know, it's kind of crazy to say this, but it's it, I'm not saying you think about it every shot, but it's always in the back of your mind that yeah, I, I can't misset my release. Right. I can't shoot yep. through my clicker because if I do, I'm a dead man. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember one year at Vegas, one of my A and M teammates was in his hotel room and he was practicing his alignment, looking in the mirror in his mm-hmm. hotel room shooting a recurve, drew back and pulled and he's checking his alignment, <laughs> pulled right through his clicker. Did he really? Yep. He shot. Yeah, let it, let, let it go. <laughs> right into the mirror. <laughs> but you know what? I tell well, you. And, 
Go ahead. Indoors is a great, great example of different conditions because everybody says, oh, indoors all the same. Well, Whatever. I can tell you, shoot, you know, you shoot in one place, the lighting's really bright. Light. Yeah. We were over in Bangkok and they had the lights. Um, I think they were on the floor. So the shadows were completely opposite. You get in some places where you're getting reflection from windows, you know, it's all different. So hundred shooting in different environments. Yeah, Yankton was completely different, and they have those two halls. Yeah, uh, one's yeah. got the the black floor. The other one's got mm-hmm. um, the concrete, right? Yeah, the concrete. So it is it is completely different. The lights just throw you yeah. off. Yeah, that's that's so true. And the you know it's funny. I coached um, one of our girls here, Brittany Wells. She's one of my. I don't know, my claim to fame. I love her. She's, she'd be one of them. She's like, just like Crystal. I mean, as far as he hyper competitive, yep. um, an, an extremely accomplished athlete. She ran, um, you know, cross country and track at Baylor, you know, on a full scholarship. And at one point in time was one of the top five women in the world, you know, running. And um, she unfortunately went through the whole, uh, you know, Crystal, you probably have heard about this when I guess runners, when they run as much as they do, I mean, hundreds of miles a week, and she was going through kind of like that. She didn't like kind of have her, this is kind of crazy to say this and she won't care. I say it, but she actually went through the, the puberty stage at, in her twenties. Mm-hmm. Every, everything, yeah. everything had yeah. been, Gymnast everything had been, yeah, that. everything had been pushed back because of her, the amount of training that she was doing ended up developing kind of like osteoporosis, you know, and yep. having, yep. And had, yeah. And had to quit, you know, but yep. I wanted to explain the kind of athlete she is. So she's really hyper competitive and knows what it is to be, you know, a, a top level athlete in, in, in her craft. And, but literally when I first started coaching her in archery, she lived in an apartment complex and she would hang a bag target in her closet. And I, and she could, really wasn't shooting outside very much at all, but I gave her a training regimen. I needed 20 arrows a day in that bag target, you know, working on her shot process. We were blind bailing essentially. And, mm-hmm. um, and did that for three months. I'll never forget this. And then when I took her outside and got a chance to finally connect with her, cause she was so busy, she was a, she's a physical therapist and one of the best out there and got her out on the range, man, all I had to do was teach her how to aim and lights out. I mean, lights out. And from that point, she went on her first ASA pro and shot women's known 40 and finished ninth. And, and there were tons of, ninth. yeah, I mean, it was awesome. Had a pro am. Yeah, yep. so it was cool to watch that where you could take your environment that is not conducive to really the sport of archery, but shoot at five feet for a, and work on nothing but the shot process. And we were, all we were doing was working on pressure, how to manage the front and backhand pressure and how much we need to do to execute a perfect shot. Go through that every day on the phone and what she needed to work on, you know, and manage all that. And then when you take her outside, you teach them how to aim and put the, you know, stabilize the bow and get the dot, you know, on the target. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so that was an example of taking that environment that you're given and still effectively practice to become very good at your craft. And, mm-hmm. and that's, so I, I always get a kick out of guys who always say, well, I, I don't have space or I don't have time or I don't have every excuse in the book. I've heard it all. And man, you can, you can shoot a bow and get effective practice in a lot of different environments. Hell, you can do it in a closet mm-hmm. for that matter. Um, and I've always said and that. there's a lot of other stuff out there that'll help you. Um, there's, there's scaled down targets. If you want to actually yeah. practice so aiming, thinking, yep. that's what I did all last year when everything got shut down. Uh, and Crystal, I remember talking to you, we were going back and forth with the, uh, those weekly challenges that they were posting out with different targets and, and different yeah, shapes yeah. and sizes. I mean, you're shooting at, at 10 feet, 
You were shooting those. Yeah. I remember and, that. And a lot of them were actually really challenging. because You were you, trying to get me and Bridger yeah. to do it. We were, we were hitting golf balls into the net back in the yeah. shop. <laughs> well, like one of them was awesome because it was like 15, 15 targets. And in order for you to score, they had to be inside outs. And they were tiny. Yeah. So, yep. you know, there's, there's different things that help you. And at the end of the day, those, those little things add up and it makes you better. Yeah. Well, she said it. You know, you find a way to shoot 10 arrows every two hours. I mean... I always tell people this. It'll take you longer to get your bow out of the case, get your release on, yeah. you know, go walk out. Then it will. It'll take you to shoot ten, fifteen arrows. I mean, that's yeah. the best way to get good at anything. When when I was in the military, my biggest thing was I used to struggle with push-ups. Mm-hmm. Hated hated doing push-ups. I was great oh, at sit-ups on. and stuff push-ups like that. Push-ups are easy. <laughs> Whatever, real push-ups. <laughs> I guarantee you, you don't um, do girl push-ups, do you? No, no, I, I don't even under, so. I don't even know how to do it. I tried once, it didn't work. Yes, yeah, so I animal. used to I used to stop every hour on the hour. I do twenty pushups. Yeah, and before yeah. I knew it, I was knocking out a hundred, two hundred pushups a day, and my my pushup score increased. Yeah. So yep. so Crystal, hey, real quick, and let's talk it through something because I know you're a big advocate of this, um, and we haven't touched on it. We've talked about mental trim management. We've talked about the physical training side of it. What about nutrition, um, physicality? Because I know you're a real big advocate of that. You're 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 pretty darn. I don't know, beast mode. As long well, as it's spicy, right? <laughs> as long yeah. as it's spicy. <laughs> um, the biggest thing that I tell people. I mean, obviously the healthier you can be, the better, especially if you're doing a lot of travel with the sport, because, you know, if you're making world cup teams and on planes and traveling all over the world and you're not at a basic physical health, you know, your health line isn't at a basic level, you're just going to be coming down with colds, you know, food's going to impact you more, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of, you know, once you're at a tournament, don't, change things up. If you have a coffee every morning, have a coffee before you shoot. I mean, I see this time and time again, people get to the tournament and try to be super healthy when they're not in real life and <laughs> body they have out. a salad for dinner and yeah. they forgot the protein. And now they get up the next morning week, yeah. you know, and wonder why, or, you know, you name it. And so I think perfect example, a lot of the world cup guys, you know, I won't name any names, but we're in China and there's not a lot of food, American typical food. American food yeah. at the hotel that, you know, they're feeding us with a lot of rice mm-hmm. and these guys know that rice isn't going to cut it for them. So they go to McDonald's and, you know, is that a lot of people joke about like, Oh, archers aren't real athletes. Cause you know, they're eating whatever, but they knew it was a safe thing that would get them. At, I don't want to use the word nutrients, but essentially the nutrients yeah. they needed to perform at their best. Right. Um, their body needed certain minimums of things. And right. So that's what they did. Um, so I think that's, but I think too, again, going back to like training, like an athlete is that's what practice is for experiment with things like find out, okay, in the middle of a scoring round, if I eat this, what happens? Um, if I drink this, what happens? Cause again, too many people get to the tournament and oh, so-and-so is eating beef jerky. I'm going to eat beef jerky. Well, if that doesn't work for you, some people can eat really heavy food and shoot fine and other people can't. Um, what works for one is not going to work for the other. And so play around. And this is where if you keep some kind of archery journal, it's really helpful. Like when I first started, I was keeping track of literally everything from 
food intake to, you know, my work, my cardio type workout, strength training and, and trying to find patterns and trends. Like when did I shoot my best? When did I shoot my worst and identifying? And if you don't track any of this, there's no way to know. You're just kind of winging it just like flinging arrows. It's the same idea. So I, is, I really take the holistic approach with it. That is some good stuff because you know, what's funny as soon as she said it, I thought to myself, holy shit, I do this. And I no wonder I may be shooting like crap because you know what we do? <laughs> I, I, I don't, don't you know, drink your cup of coffee. Well, no, it's not even that it's, I go on the range, you know, and we shoot, let's say we're shooting a big tournament, you know, even a pro-am, that's a four and a half to five hour event or round. Um, I usually take like a protein bar, uh, you know, cliff bar, you know, some of the, uh, what do they call it? The stuff that you put in your drink a second ago, like noon stuff um, in my drink. I never drink that during the day and I never eat that crap during the day when I'm shooting. And you decide to do it. And then I go do it up there thinking, yeah. okay, I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to, I'm carb crash at some point in time today. Cause I got to eat in four and a half hours. Um, and, and I've never thought about, I need to go shoot. And then at some point in the day, eat that protein bar and then go shoot and see what it does to me. Or maybe I'm yeah. over caffeinating myself with my additives I'm putting in my water mm-hmm. and it's causing me to get my eyeball shakes yep. that I'll get if yep. I drink coffee. I mean, and I never even thought about that because I do not eat on the course like I do when I'm shooting and training at all. Not even close. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. There's, there's some bonus points you're going to pick up right there. Yeah, for real, yep. because you don't know. I mean, cause, and, cause I've thought. Well, back. and there's two ways to approach this. You can either change your practice to mimic what you want to do in a tournament, you know, the healthier approach, or you can take, like I said, some of, some of the top guys approach of, this is my everyday life. Yeah. This is the food I eat. You know, I drink a mountain, you know, Paige, perfect example. She drinks a Mountain Dew or whatever it is when she's practicing. <laughs> so she's going to do that of in a tournament. And, you know, that's, that's, you just have to practice and shoot the same. It's just like any other piece of it. You, know, you got to replicate yeah. what you're going to do. I've Unfortunately, they're going to frown on me if I pop open a course light in the middle of the yeah tournament. they might not like that well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's funny that is, that is actually amazing advice that i'm going to actually start paying more attention to that because i've never done it she was sitting there talking about it, and i'm sitting there thinking to myself what mm-hmm. do i know what do i normally do on a five-hour day on a tournament day holy shit i don't do any of that stuff well, back here even meals wise like i'm someone i don't have the benefit of being able to just wing it because i'm hyper hyperglycemic so yeah. if i don't eat every couple hours i pass out right so i'm like really cautious about this anyways but i look at the tournament schedule okay there's some tournaments where you know maybe we start at 10 o'clock and so i'm like oh that's over lunch i eat lunch at 12 o'clock every day well okay i gotta pack a, a lunch. lunch with me so whether that's yeah. like going to subway and getting something yep. that i can carry with me on the range or vice versa you start at four o'clock well that's through dinner so how am i going to prepare what am i going to have I need a meal. I can't just have snack food. Yeah. That's, I'm used to eating a meal at five o'clock. Um, so treating it that way as well. So, you know, I always have a saying, you know, and I've said this to some people before, you know, if you want to be a pro, you need to freaking act like one, mm-hmm. you know, because we, a lot of us go through and we, we have this aspiration to shoot at the highest level of the sport and be professional to some degree, you know, but we don't want to do any of the work any that work, it takes yeah. to get there. There are no shortcuts. We don't act like it. You know, we go out and party our ass off on Friday night and get drunker than 10 monkeys and try to get up in the morning and shoot our bow and we're hungover and so on and so forth. Or, you know, and if you want to be at that level, you need to kind of act like one. I always try to tell people this, my especially my students, you know, 
you, you take the top, everybody has that guy or that gal that's in their division. That's they're the hammer, you know, Mike Schlosser, let's say, for example, or, you know, Casey Caulfield on the, on the recurve side or whoever it may be. And I always tell them on Saturday afternoon, and you're going to go out and party with your buddies and you got a tournament the week after that, and you're going to go get filthy drunk on Saturday. What's, what's Casey doing Saturday? You know, what's Mike doing on Saturday? You know, I guarantee you he's not going out partying to getting drunk and mm-hmm. to be number one in the world. Um, and maybe he is, I don't know, but I, I think it's good fuel to say, what's, what's the, and I've done that my whole life. You know, I was a top level, you know, wrestler. I wrestled into college and everything. And I was as high as number five in the country one time. But every time I, I started, my buddies would call me on a Friday night. Hey, we're going to the football game, dude. We're going to go drink some beer and have fun and hang out. And my dad taught me this, you know, what's, what's Ben Pearson doing right now on Friday night Well, he's training and I train. To my buddies and I can't go out. I'm going to train today. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, you have to do that. If you want to be a non-crystal, do you agree or disagree with that? I agree, but I, I do want to say not ever, like you don't have to have the goal of being at the top. And yeah. I think that's one thing as a sport we've really pushed almost too hard is it's a lead or nothing. It's, you know, as we talked about earlier, these organizations survive because of you know, the quote unquote everyday person. Yeah. And so if your goal is to go to these shoots and have fun, that's okay. Um, and you know, maybe priorities for you are going out with your friends on a Friday night versus shooting, but just, you have to put that in perspective that then your goals need to align accordingly. You can't have the goal of being number one and then do those things. But if your goal is just it, archery is a social thing to you, then it, then it's different. So I just, yeah. I like to point that out because I think too many people get caught up in it's it's be the best or nothing. Mm. Um and She sounds she sounds like George. Yep. <laughs> no, I'm serious. George said the exact same damn thing. Because I'm I'm a horrible I'm a one of those dogged God I'm a slave driver coach and that's not a good thing. Because George Well, fact, Jay, according to Jason, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> well no, George and I talked about that subject because I've got some kids, you know, that I mean, I got two people and I always talk about them, but they are the, they're some of the best in the business at what they do at their age. And, um, you, you lose them. I've lost them for a period of time due to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cars, trucks, women, girls, I mean, girls, boys, you know, you name it. Um, they want to be a teenager and I get it. Um, but. And that's the great thing about archery though, is they have time to come back. Um, yeah. we're not a sport, you know, too many people get caught up that, Oh, I got to be good by the time I'm 20 or by the time I go to college or by the time this X, Y, and Z. Like, again, I didn't touch a bow until I was 28 and a half. Butch Johnson made his first Olympics at 36 in recurve. Yeah. (laughs) So, and he made five. So, I mean, just putting it in perspective. So can I ask you a question though, regarding that? Cause I'm, so I'm a, I'm real big on taking advantage of the, the, the peaks and valleys of, the, the, and this is in any, in any sport, the sport you choose mm-hmm. to operate in. Um, because I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you're going to have some times where you're going to be at the top of your game and you're going to start regressing down into the valleys where you're, you're struggling or you're shooting, you're competing, but you're not, you know, you're not winning. And then you, you'll start to yeah. ramp, you'll start to ramp up again and come back and man, you're shooting at the top of your game. So I, I, I always say that you got to be prepared to take advantage of those times because it can set you up from a career standpoint. Meaning that if you happen to, uh, 
to be training at the top of your game, shooting the top of your game and, and, and capitalize on that, that can set you up for a very long time from a standpoint of sponsorship of, you know, gaining that, that industry clout, you know, and then so that when you are in those valleys and you're not shooting good, you still have all that support behind you to try to get you back up to the top. Um, Cause I, I think that sport is a lot of it is timing is taking advantage oh, yeah, of those, yeah, the, yeah. that timing. Yeah. I, I guess the piece I would say is there's just, it's not one peak, um, right, especially right. in archery. There's yeah. multiple. So if you, if you miss the first peak for whatever reason, you still have an opportunity for three, four peaks, yeah. you know, later in your life. And that's, yeah. That's, I think, the piece that people get hung up on. Oh, oh, is, this oh, is yeah. my one and only, only shot. Well, George made a, he man, he gave me some great advice. He says, you know, you take those kids and you say, hey, look, you pick two or three events and big ones, you know, that matter, like yeah. outdoor nationals or Vegas, and give me two weeks before that event, prepare for it, and go there and yep. have a and go there and have a really good time. That keeps mm-hmm. them somewhat vested, you know, and then they may may even get a spark and think, man, my, this is a lot of fun. This is cool. I need to start exactly. doing this more. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if you can pick that, you know, it's three, three weekends a year out of, you know, 52 and just give me those. And, and that keeps them, like you said, somewhat involved so that when they decide to come back and, you know, shoot a pretty heavy schedule that, that like you said, Crystal, I mean, I think it takes some of that ramp up time and shortens it. And this is great advice. Cause I mean, I'm the, I'm the opposite. I'm like, dude, you got to be the best. You got to train like a complete <laughs> maniac. I need you behind that boat constantly. I'm a big food nutrition guy and exercise and you got to get in the gym. Hell, I trained one of my students for about, I think she came to two of my training sessions with me and then she, dis- <laughs> and she disappeared after that and she won't train with me anymore. But I have zero. I don't know. I, I have a saying, I'm going to make you very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hannah's the opposite. Yep, yep. Every time you train with me, I break you off. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's awesome, man. That's some good stuff, though. I'll tell you. I, I, I mean, Scotty, you got any other questions you want to grow through? Well, well, I was going to say, we've, we've touched on the mental game, on, um, on tournament prep, on nutrition. What about from an equipment perspective? I know a lot of, a lot of pros will tune their equipment and set up to compensate for, Hey, I, I, I know on a, on a Vegas face, my error, I'm prone to miss high left. So mm-hmm. I'm going to side in five o'clock on the spot, something along those lines. What about from uh, a, a perspective of tuning and setting up your equipment to be forgiving, to compensate for potentially your personal mistakes for me personally, my target anticipation is that I've, I lock, I hold, and can't get the shot to break. And I think that's my, my front shoulders coming up a little bit. And so on my back half, I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. No, I, I would care to say you're probably choking that release to death. Yeah. Personally, <laughs> but I don't know. That's a good question though. What do you think, Crystal? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it comes down to being honest with yourself and where you're at. And if you're, you know, starting out again, like to stick with the basics, but as you progress, obviously learning yourself and learning your shot and where your, you know, problem areas are and making things as forgiving as possible. It's just like, you know, people walk into a bow shop and think they can tune their bow for them. You know, we all know that's not the case. You got to tune the bow for you. And so that's, I'm really big on um, like, I guess essentially group tuning type work Mm -hmm. because that's, that's fixing, that's getting rid of my flyers and my mistakes. It's not necessarily that the arrows flying straight um, or, you know, this perfect tune, but it's tuned for 
my normal shot. And that's what I like to tell people is, you know, I still remember this seminar I went to at Lancaster when I first started, Rio was talking and he said in a typical Vegas round, he shoots one or maybe two perfect shots. Um, wow. But the rest are his average shots. They're a good shot, but they're not perfect shots. And so making your setup um, designed for your average shot. If you if you set a bow up for a perfect shot and you only make one or two, you're you're definitely losing points in that round. Versus right. mm-hmm. if it's set up for those twenty eight out of thirty shots, um, you know it's a, it's a much better score you're going to have at the end of the day. So can I ask you a question? Uh, you, out of a thirty arrow round, Vegas round, let's say, let's use it for an or, or, for for example's sake, um, Crystal Govan, when you are when when you were at the top of your game, shooting as good as you were. How many great shots did you make out of 30? <laughs> Me? Probably zero. <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, your expectation, you never met your expectation level on those 30 shots, even though you might have shot a clean game. Well, I my only clean games are actually in Vegas, fun fact. I gotcha. never shot one in practice. Um, that is amazing. So, Shaking my head. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm sitting here right now. She's shaking my head. Jason's ready to go throw up in the corner. He's like, he's getting nauseous right now. (laughs) You're not kidding me. You seriously have never shot one in in practice, but you have done it in competition. Correct. Dude, she's a freak. That's just insane. I come from the school of how do you ever expect yourself to do it in a tournament if you have never done it in practice? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, that's. That's you, what's you really that. hard and people don't understand is well, like outdoors when you're talking the 720 round, all these women had shot 700s in practice multiple times. Damn. And I was shooting like 690s in practice, you know, six high right. 680s. Right. So it's like, how can you expect? And for me, it's when I'm in the tournament, it's, it's kind of what you were talking about earlier. When I'm on the line and I'm shooting, I'm just dialed in yeah. that, that one shot, that one arrow. I don't pay attention to score. Like, I mean, obviously at World Archery where they're they're yelling out 10 or 9 or whatever right. you shot, it's right. a little different. But I I don't pay attention. End of the round, I'm like, oh, cool, that's what I shot. I have no idea. I, I try to have no idea even where I'm at. Because when I start as a math person, as soon as I start paying attention, it's like, okay, well, I've already dropped three. And then I start doing the math and I'm running numbers. And before you know it, my mind's spiraling out of control. Yeah. Because I'm very analytical, so I have to, I have that, to completely shut that off. That is an example of no matter what she does, she cannot duplicate the intensity of the tournament in practice. practice. She can't do it. Correct. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I can't. I, I'm, there's no yeah. way. Yeah. Because if you did, you probably would fall over and pass out every day. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. I mean, because I've watched or, you, like I said, or hurt somebody. Or hurt somebody, exactly. You would be like me. Then you would be like me and Bridger. She'd be buying multiple yeah. bows because it'd be hanging in You're trees. You're not allowed to come train with these guys. <laughs> yeah, you joke. <laughs> that would be intense. But no, seriously, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, I've never, I have literally never heard of anybody who has not done it in practice, but yet done it in competition. That is just, that is such an upside down oxymoron of tournament focus that is so off the charts that you can, you're, you, you, you turn into a freaking robot in competition and, and, uh, there's no excuses. It's yeah. It's just unbelievable. That is badass. It's the same as some people that, you know, they, they cram the night before and ace a test. Yeah. hundred percent. The whole rest of the time they were failing the class. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable. But I, but I think it comes down to two, partly for me, is I came into the sport late and had no expectations. I didn't know that that wasn't normal. You know, 
that type of thing. Whereas again, like these kids that grow up in the sport, they hear all the time, like, Oh, so-and-so shooting a million three hundreds in practice. And then they see their score in Vegas, like, Oh, they didn't do it. And so yeah. that ingrains that mentality right from the start, you're going to shoot worse in a tournament. Right. I mean, I think it goes back to the mental game. If that's what you're telling yourself, everybody around you, that's the environment you're in day in and day out. Why, why do we expect anything different from people? So it's funny. So you, it's funny you say that. So I always tell my kids, for example, I never know what you can ask any of them and I'll, they'll tell you, I never go up and ask them what their score was for the day. Mm-hmm. I always go up and ask them how many great shots do you make today? I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, if you're shooting a, you know, at the pro-am, 20 targets, how many great shots you make out of 20 today? And I always want to know that because regardless of score, I, I'm trying to set them up to understand that if you make 18 out of 20 great shots, your score is probably indicative of that. But there are going to be times where you're going to make some great shots and the arrow's not going to hit where you want it to hit. And you may not well, shoot. Well, and I would challenge you to say, instead of a great shot, change that to a good or your shot. How yeah. many of your shots that you're capable of, you know, that type of That's a good idea. Approach. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it, again, a great shot, you shouldn't be shooting. If you're, you're lying to me, if you tell me you shot 18 good, great shots out of 20. Right. I just, I'm not going to buy that. Right. So like, even for you in those Vegas rounds, we did, you cleaned. I mean, did you seriously make what? 15 or 20, 15 to 18, 20 of crystals, good shots in your own head. Or is your, yeah, yeah. And, and so yeah. My, my point being yeah, is this, not great shots. That's, right. that's my difference. Right. So in that, so in that regard, you've set your bow up from a forgiveness standpoint to, to be really good in the law of averages. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And what do you do and what have you all found in a tournament during the shoot when things are off the rails, when you can't find your shot, what do you do mentally to get back? And center yourself. How do you get back on the rails during a shoot? I disconnect. I'll answer that my way here in a second. I want to hear what she says. <laughs> um, well, I'd like to know that right now because I've lost it. But um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, she's still so searching. I think. I, I mean, I think be- back compound 1.0. Um, it was just um, again. I I had totally forgot about the last arrow, the last end, and I was. Just each time it was a completely fresh start. And and again, like how uh, Scott talked about my face on the line. When I step off the line, though, I it's like a light switch. I'm back to normal crystal. I'm joking around with people. I'm having yeah. fun. Like for me, I can't stay dialed in for a long period of time. But for those two minutes, those four minutes, it's super, super intense. But I yeah. shut it off. And so that's where I can get caught up, like walking to the line, joking around with people. I have to be careful not talking about like, Oh, I just shot bad or shot good. And right. that's where I am now is I, I was so hung up this past weekend. Like I just kept shooting sevens. I don't know why. And I just kept focusing on that um, versus just, okay. I, but I shot how many freaking tens and X's more than normal. So. Right. Yeah. I always tell, so on the flip side of that for me, and at least the people that I've talked with coaching through them is that, and I've, I've had to do this myself is I go back to the basics, meaning that I go back to center tens on a 3D target. I quit shooting bonus rings. Um, I really will go ahead and dial my site where it needs to be instead of playing the math game. Yep. You know, two yards hot, two, yard, you know, two yards low, what you experience. And I'll go back and go, if I'm two yards hot and I'm on a center, it's a center, I'm shooting dead IBO center on that 3D target and I'm at, you know, 
40 yards and beyond, I'm still going to catch that 10 on the high side or on the low side, depending if I'm high or low. But at least I, and if everything works, meaning I break a clean shot, I'm, my pin set was sitting nice, it, that'll at least level set me. And, at least, and that is what calms my brain down. I'm like, okay, I know my, my, my indicator's off. And I can make that change. Now, the bad thing is you can't do that for two or three targets. Because you know as well as I do in a competitive environment. Only 30 of them. You only got 30 of them or only got 20 of them. And you've got to make those calls quick and be confident in your process. Now, sometimes, I I will tell you, knowing you, I will bet my life that you were choking the hell out of that release. You were putting pressure on yourself and that pressure was relating to stress, which was relating to tension. tension. In that release hand, and you thought you were moving that release, that some bitch wasn't moving. <laughs> it was just sitting there. Yep. And you thought you were pulling hard, but you weren't pulling hard. You were just maintaining good, good, solid pressure instead of activating. You know, I call it an active shot, and you, you probably were just stalled up. I, if I had to guess, because you, when you say you shoot high, that is a byproduct of you being extremely weak on the backside and pushing like hell on the front side. And you and you think that you're actively shooting, you're not. You have one side of the pressure overpowering the other. That's my opinion. And you've got to be able to work through that and realize it and really calm the mind. And I think shooting center tens does that for you. Because what we are tendency to do, and this is where the game of 3D can kick your ass. Oh, I got to shoot 12s now. Yeah. Damn, I'm down too. In there. I got to shoot, I got to shoot bonus rings. I got to hit all these bonus rings now instead of just finding your shot. Spend the one to two targets. Burn them. They're going to be burnt. But, but at ten, least they're burnt with tens. But they're burnt with tens. Yeah. We're not shooting eights anymore. And we've got a four inch, four and a half inch circle to deal with, which allows us to be off well, yard and a half to three yards, depending on how fast your bow is, and still be, and still stay competitive while we're working through finding that, finding, I call it finding center. And then once you get that confidence back, you can get back on the train, you know. But man, I've been in your position though where the rails just falling off. And I tell you, sometimes I tell people this and Chris, I don't know if you've ever said it, but you know, like during practice, some days you get up, you just ain't got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just set it down instead of fighting it because all you're doing yeah. is instilling bad, you know, bad habits and bad training habits. Cause you're getting pissed off. You're starting to throw things like I do. Um, set it down, go have a beer, set it down, go yep. have a cup of coffee, walk away for it that day. Because I won't tell you, I'm like you. I've been to so many tournaments and prepared, feel like I'm going to shoot great. Everything's good. And I just don't have it that day. It's just, it's just not there. And you've got to chalk those up and learn from them and walk away. Well, and, and just not having it is different from, you know, one bad yes, yeah. one bad target or something like that. And that's where I think, again, the mental game really plays in. If it is a, you know, one or two target issue, um, having a reset. So, yeah. you know, again, this is very common in other sports, but sometimes it's a physical, you know, people press their thumb into their palm or I've heard pitchers looking for a grain of sand on the, the pitcher's mound mm-hmm. or, you know, um, a football player like picks up a blade of grass and does whatever with it. You oh, know, yeah. there's all kinds of um the mental coach I worked with at one point, she said, you know, look through your five senses to find something. So yeah. some people respond to sound, some people smell, you know, uh, uh, taste, you know, whatever it is. So find something that you can do in the moment to reset and start over. Yeah. It, that is so true. It's funny. I always tell the story of my son one year we were, 
um, I used to coach baseball, travel ball, and we were playing in the Atlanta Braves training stadium in Florida. Um, and it was a, you know, it's a huge field. And he was uh, six, 16 years old, and uh, he was our starter that day. And he couldn't throw a strike to save his life. I mean, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just the, it was the environment. It was huge. It was big. You know, kids are freaking out. You know, Chipper Jones, dad, he, he, he sat right here in this, you know, and <laughs> yep, freaking yep. out. And I had to call time after the first inning because he had literally had thrown a strike. He'd walk like four guys. And I walked out there and I said, hey, when you kiss your girlfriend last? And he's like, what? And I'm like, well, when did you make out with your girlfriend last? I mean, you, you know, I'm just curious. And he'd look at me like, what are you talking about, dad? That's insane. I'm like, I'm being serious, Jordan. When did you make out with her last? Well, um, I don't know, like two days ago. Was it awesome? Dad, you're being stupid. And I, and I walked off the mound. I just walked around, walked off. And that kid, that kid was lights out after that. Yep. Lights yep. out. I just turned his freaking brain off. Mm-hmm from yep. what he was the task at hand. And I guarantee I walked off the mound with him and he stood on that mound for, for probably five minutes and thought, my dad's an idiot. You know, he, yep. what the hell was he asking <laughs> me that for? He's gross. I mean, why does he want to yep. know that? I completely took the ball. And then you, when he did, he went on autopilot and did what he knows how to do. Yep. Yeah. Right. Just throw right. a damn baseball, yep. you know, yep. instead of the enormity of the stadium. A and, great uh, scene in tin cup where he's, Caddy tells him, all right, put all the, all the change in your right pocket, put it in your left yeah, pocket. Exactly. Turn your hat around backwards. Yeah. And, yeah. Yep. <laughs> you, you, and then you go but back. those things work. They yeah. do. They yeah. do. Because I mean, we, we all know how to shoot a damn bow. It's just whether we can do it in that situation and if we've prepared and overthought it. Yeah, and you, Scott, are an overthinker. Oh, absolutely. Times a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've got a really simple one. And Crystal, you, you, might, you might have heard this before. Uh, like if I, if I shoot a bad arrow, and I know I've got five more to go. Yeah. I'll just take one 10 seconds in between. And I follow this three, two, one rule where I look at three things, listen to two and smell one. <laughs> it resets yep. my brain yep. completely. Are you shitting me? No, I'm serious. <laughs> That's awesome. No. I love it. Three, two, one. <laughs> just do that. And so what is it again? Repeat that. Look at three things. Yeah. Listen to two and smell one. Okay, that, yep. that's pretty hilarious. I like that. Yeah, that, that's actually pretty funny because that's that, going to take you completely off. Oh yeah, off the mark. The other thing that we learned was uh, in between ends. Like for me, I have to sit there on the line and wait for someone to grab my arrows. Right, right. You have nothing but time to think of what right. you screwed up. Right. Detach from it. Yeah. Um, Leah Coriel, my teammate, she was trying to create rap songs with me one day, um, <laughs> and I shot the best score of my life yeah. that day. Just, just. Yep. Doing different things. Some people read books in between ends. Yeah. Just completely detach. That's, that's good hilarious. reset. No, that's good advice. Good stuff. I'm writing that down. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's actually typing this down in his phone right now. That's awesome. So, Crystal, we're going to wrap up a little bit. Man, we appreciate your time. I know it's been crazy. Uh, you get, you're as crazy as we are work-wise. But can you share with us what's uh, on the horizon for Crystal, this new target year coming up? No idea. <laughs> no idea. No kidding. She has to try and beat uh, Honestly, me. I mean, I, I'm trying to decide what, what I can fit into my schedule. The problem is uh, with my work travel schedule, it's, it's hard to judge in advance when I'm going to get called to come speak at a conference or something. And, right. Um, so I don't want to plan out. I mean, I'd love to do like the ASA circuit, but I'm not going to go and go to one or two. And right. I, I can't learn that game that way. If I'm going to do it, I want to be able to go to all of them. And, right really commit to learning that um so we'll see um definitely plan to go to vegas um probably lancaster but other than that 
we will see. Yeah, that's good. Well, I mean, I know because I know. If anybody that, has any uh, suggestions for me, say, get you out to a total <laughs> archery challenge. And yeah, you want to change have, everything. You, you want to go have fun with your bow? Go to total archery challenge shoot. That you talking about decompressing, but yet loving the sport of archery and it's, hiking. And I don't want to break arrows though. That's all I hear about with that. Oh, you break I can't arrows. Afford, I can't afford that. <laughs> you know what's funny though? You you we you literally go. We sell tack arrow. They're like five or six bucks a piece, and you buy two dozen, and you really don't care. Okay. If you okay, break them all, that I can yeah. do. Yeah, right. and it's <laughs> the 130 yard buffalo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you will never have a funner time shooting your bow. I guarantee that because it's not scored. It's just having fun. Yeah, no, they look super fun. They are. I didn't want to take my pro tours there. No, 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 no. no, 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 no this is the no, only no. time where shopping at Walmart for arrows is works really well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it, you know, I thought about you watching the Olympics this year, and I know that had to be a bittersweet. I mean, you're, I'm sure you're wanting to to cheer on your teammates, but there had to be just a little bit of you thinking, God darn it, man. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, yeah. it wasn't easy. Yeah, sure. that, that can't be for someone like you as competitive as you are. And I know you had, when you had left and got that job, you were, you were shooting pretty damn good. I mean, I, I always, I, I was watching that thinking to myself, man, I bet crystals that's bittersweet for her to a degree. She probably, probably knows that she should have been there. Could have been there. So Either how we either way we cannot thank you enough. We need to make this like a regular like deal with her because she's she's badass and she's a lot of she's a plethora of information and I love talking with her. And you, I think people are going to love this episode. I really do. There's some good we'll call stuff. It the LEA podcast and Crystal and Crystal. <laughs> her, well, hell, Bridger is like disappears nine out of ten times, and we just make her one of our regular hosts. <laughs> kick, kick, kick Bridger to the curb. But uh, Crystal, I thank you. I can pretend to be Bridger, run from bees, and sneeze really loud. <laughs> there you or, go. I mean, like a girl, like a girl. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with us, um, Scott. You I'm sure you got some good stuff out of this? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Crystal. It's always great yeah. to talk to you. Appreciate everything that you post as well from a mental game perspective. That's all helpful. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And feel free if you ever have questions, reach out to me. Awesome. I'm happy to help. Well, you take care and uh, don't work too hard, young lady. All right, I'll try. <laughs> Talk to you later. Yep. Bye. 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 Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff. That girl, that she's she's seriously, she's the real deal. Now, I cannot impress upon people enough that um, that have never got a chance to watch her shoot. Go back on YouTube and see and check her out when she was a top for game of compound. You know, look at her in some of the tournaments and recurve, and she is one of the most determined individuals I've, I, that I know. I love the passion she has when she's on that line. And she does do exactly what she said, on and off like a light switch. I mean, she shot against Natasha, you know, Leinecker, my student, um, in Outdoor Nationals four years ago. And, and she doesn't, she has that air of, I'm not going to beat you. I'm going to crush you. Mm. Like, it's not going to be close. That's what she goes up to that line, you know, with the expectation. And you got to respect that, you know. That's what you have to do. I mean, if if you're not going to do it that way, then don't expect, don't expect professional outcome if you're not going to shoot with a yeah. professional mindset. <clears throat> Man, you're, if you're going to shoot like a hobbyist, you're going to score like a the hobbyist. hobbyist. Yeah. yeah, that's that's actually good shit right there, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time in college in a, in a FIDA shoot, uh, in the elimination round, I came up against Jeff Button. Mm -hmm. And I tried to make conversation, looked him in the eye. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I've never seen <laughs> intensity like that. What, oh, what's yeah? this guy going to do to me? He, he 
blew out a world record 120. Yeah. Perfect. That's what yeah. they do. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, like, I think I dropped like a 117. I was shooting really well. I didn't stand a chance. <laughs> no, yeah. No. That's awesome though. I mean, that's yeah. a good, that was a good stuff though. I mean, hopefully we can use that and some people out there can listen to this episode and really springboard their fall, you know, tournament season. I know we are getting ready to hit, you know, hunting season head on. Yep. I think we'll release this. We'll probably, you know, a week away from our, our, um, our so Texas honey season. If you're listening to this, this is probably your two week notice that indoors yeah. coming around. Yeah. Okay. Cause indoor season, at least here in Texas will start sometime in the middle of October mm-hmm. and then go through the culmination of the Vegas shoot, you know, which is, I think this year I read this third through the sixth, um, or third through seventh in February. And that's kind of like we're, what we're all kind of working towards. And so you're going to, you know, hopefully this will help get you rolling, you know, and, and start preparing and looking at some of the techniques that she talked through, some of the things that she talked about at practice and how you can set that yourself up and really get this thing rolling for you in the next four months to, to go to your local state shoots, which usually happen January, February, go to Vegas and, and maybe, you know, shoot, shoot. The, and you say the every year. Time. Outdoor champions are made in indoor there season. Is, I will say that until the day I die. The, I, and shoot I, your damn bow. You can look at that, I'm telling you, with the guys who do well. The guys that shoot a full indoor season, you will see them on the podium in the outdoor. I, I just, I, I'm telling you, there's no doubt about it. Because if there's any other craft where you will learn how to manage pressures of front and back hand control and and duplicating that over and over and over again, as boring as it is, it's an indoor. Yeah. I mean, Trying to hit that itty bitty spot. That little quarter sized X, you know, her hell on the Vegas face. Is a, it's a nickel. <laughs> exactly. Um, there is no level of expertise. And that's, and people don't realize it too. That's a mental training too. Oh yeah. It's a task. We get so many bow hunters come in here, guys, and they'll see us shooting the five spots. You know, well, what's that game? Well, you got to hit, easy. you got to hit that white circle, you know, 60 times. Well, at, well how far? About 20 yards. Well, that's cake. Okay. Go do it. And it's hilarious because they don't realize how tough it is mentally. They get to that, you know, they, they might be clean for 40 shots. And then they start thinking about it. Wow, I ain't missed yet. And that's all you got to have. Done. Done. <laughs> as soon as you hear that. I don't think I've ever shot 40 arrows in one day. What's going on? Yeah. I don't think I've ever led down. Actually, I led down more times in, in my first five spot 300 than yeah. I did probably my whole outdoor career. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll teach you that. Because you have to be, and it's you insane to, to think this, you got to be perfect. You know, and especially when you're shooting at that little X, that core, that 50 cent piece X, if your expectations you 60 of those, you can't make a mistake. Yeah. I mean, it's just a reality. You cannot afford to let one bad shot no. slip out of your hands. Nope. So, man, we hope you guys enjoyed this one. This is a good one. I'm, I was excited to, when Scott brought it up. I knew it was going to be something we've, we've touched on a lot of this stuff, I think, in different segments of the show over the past. Yeah. But this show committed to that, I think, and we went around the train. We did. I mean, from the mental to the practice to the shooting, physicality even a little bit. Um, that's we've never had a complete, all-encompassing. This is prep, tournament, mental, food, and you know, training all that into one because yeah. all of them matter. Well, no, it's always and it's always good to get different people's perspective on it. Yeah, because we can sit here and have our own ideas, but when we include Scott into it, we include Chris yeah. into it, we include other people. They might have different. Well, and that's little, what's so cool. You got a you got a top level professional athlete, Archer, you know, and Crystal and Scott being our regional, state level 
archer who loves to compete and win, you know, and who's going to relate. I think 80% of our audience is going to relate to Scott. Correct. You know, hell, I've done it, you know. Who also you know. have full-time jobs and yes. still manage to yeah. compete at a high level. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I can tell you, he's, he wants to win as bad as anybody. I'm, you, I'm hungry again. Yeah, Let's exactly. Go. So now you've got another ax to grind next year. That's right. And you got 12 months to prepare or 10 months. So. Awesome. Well, listen, we appreciate y'all. Um, you know, we had some questions that came up, but we're going we're gonna to answer those direct, but then I, we're going to talk about them on maybe our next segment. Yeah, well, um, I mean, we're going to do... enough time today. Like I said, this, you guys are listening to this. It's the end of September. It's the end of elk season. Yeah. Scott will be back by the time you guys are listening yeah, to this. We're, we're so kinda, we're going to recap yeah. on hunting and... We're banking episodes right now because I am gone for a month. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're listening to this, I will be hopefully already killed a bull. Gosh, I better. I'm going to be really ticked off this year. So it's turning out to be, I think, be a good season so far. We had fires three miles from where I hunt, which is not good. But I called yesterday and they're all out. Mm -hmm. So the smoke's no more smoke and animals should be calmed down by the time we get there and ready to play. So yeah. we'll see. Well, listen, we appreciate you again. Thank you so much for listening. Man, um, tell your friends about it. Like us, follow us. Um, and we're going to keep the content coming. So uh, other than that, 